Welcome to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Please feel free to leave a comment and be sure to join our group on Facebook. Now relax and enjoy the show. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay and Bluster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, many of us like to share Easter breakfast with our friends. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, looked forward all week to sharing hers with several of her students and some of the faculty. Some of the faculty being biology teacher Philip Boynton. Yes, Mr. Boynton is enough of the faculty for me. At least I hope he's for me. I know I'm for him. <laughs> so much for the world of sports. <laughs> Saturday afternoon found me making arrangements for the big day in my landlady's kitchen. You certainly look domestic bustling around that stove, Connie. Tell me, what was it you just plopped into that pot of boiling water? My thumb, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> oh, you mean the white thing. That was an egg. They've got to get nice and hard before we can dye them. By the way, I saw Harriet Conklin helping you with our Easter baskets before. Where did our beloved principal's daughter disappear to? I sent her to the grocery store for some more eggs and some dye. We were running short. Harriet is certainly a sweet little girl. Yes, she is. Just goes to show you how little there is to heredity. <laughs> Let's see those Easter baskets again. Hmm. Plenty of straw, jelly beans, little yellow chicks. There's just one more thing I'd like to see in each one. What's that, Connie? A chocolate bunny with a thousand-dollar bill in his mouth. <laughs> I'm afraid that's asking a little too much. All right, then. I'll settle for a wax bunny. I'm back, Mrs. Davis. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet. Did you get the stuff? Yes, ma'am. Here's the dye, and I got a couple of dozen eggs. Good. Let's put some more of these in to boil. I'll do it. What's the schedule for tomorrow, Miss Brooks? When do you want us to come for breakfast? Oh, about 10 o'clock will be fine, Harriet. Then we'll all be on time for the Easter parade. I'll bet you'll look stunning, Miss Brooks. What kind of an outfit are you wearing this year? Well, in some ways, it's quite similar to the outfit I wore last Easter. How do you mean, Miss Brooks? Same hat, coat, dress, and shoes. <laughs> I did invest in something new, though. A gossard narrow line girdle. <laughs> Does this really make you look narrow, Connie? Narrow? When I stand sideways, you can't see me at all. <laughs> I like to think. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I'd better get over to the cleaners and pick up Daddy's Easter outfit. You know how meticulous he is when he appears in public. He's not only meticulous, he's impeccable. He's not only impeccable, he's impossible. <laughs> I mean, impatient. So you better run along now, Harriet. Okay, Miss Brooks. See you tomorrow. Bye, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, dear, and thanks for the help. Now, you'll probably want to wash up after you mix that dye, Connie, so I'll get some clean towels for the pantry sink. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Da, da, dum, dee, 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 dee. Come on in. The door's open. It is I, Miss Brooks, your own personal Easter bunny. <laughs> 
At last. Just drop the $1,000 bills in the basket. <laughs> oh, it's Walter Denton. Tell me that I'm in time, Miss Brooks. Tell me that you didn't dye your eggs yet. You're in time, Walter. I didn't dye my eggs yet. <laughs> Thank goodness. Miss Brooks, just before the holidays, I hit on a new dye in the Kim Lab at school. It's absolutely sensational. A new dye? Yes, ma'am. That's why I'm so glad you didn't color your eggs yet. I want you to do it with my stuff. It's absolutely dynamite. Walter, I just want the Easter eggs to look pretty, not blow up. <laughs> Miss Brooks, we need a load of this stuff. It'll revolutionize the egg dyeing industry. I'll make millions out of this. Billions. And you, Miss Brooks, will get my everlasting gratefulness. That's my usual cut. <laughs> I call this magic dye Tint Tomorrow. Tint Tomorrow? Yeah, I took the two words, Tint and Tomorrow, and made a word marriage out of it. Oh, I hope they'll be very happy together. <laughs> Just how does this stuff work, Walter? Well, it's a powder, Miss Brooks, but a delayed action powder. In other words, when you dye an egg with tint tomorrow, no color change takes place at all today. It doesn't? Naturally not. It changes its tint tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> you see, that's why I call, call it, it tint, tint tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> well, that was fun. What do we do now? <laughs> sample eggs that I dyed yesterday, Miss Brooks. Look, red, blue, green, purple. Aren't they beautiful? They are nice, Walter. Very brilliant. Is this invention of yours easy to apply? Well, easier than that old-fashioned stuff. Uh, these two bags will dye 12 eggs each. And now, look, I've got to get downtown on an errand for my folks, so I'll just leave these four extra bags by your pantry sink on my way out. Well, I'll certainly be happy to try it, Walter. Remember, Miss Brooks... I haven't got this invention patented yet, so you mustn't breathe a word about it. In fact, I must insist on an oath of secrecy. Walter, I won't even tell the eggs. Here are the clean towels, Connie. I'd have come back sooner, but I was on the phone with Mrs. Conklin. She's got a problem, poor dear. I know. I work for him. <laughs> oh, I don't mean Mr. Conklin. She's worried about parading in the sun tomorrow morning. She says she gets a lot of freckles that way. Oh, that's as good a way as any. What did you recommend? Some of this remarkable face cream I got at the beauty parlor last week. It's called Freckle Off. Freckle Off? This is a big day for me. First tint tomorrow, then Freckle Off. Hmm. Tint tomorrow and Freckle Off. Sounds like a Polish piano team. <laughs> Just uh, let me rub a little on your chin, dear. Oh, but Mrs. Davis, I... It'll do you a world of good. Just this one little dab. There. I was about to tell you that I don't have any freckles on my chin. <laughs> I can see that. But isn't it comforting to know that now you'll never have any? <laughs> it's a security I never dreamt of. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Davis, would you mind taking these baskets into the living room? I've still got some work to do in here. Certainly, dear. Oh, look who's coming down the driveway, Connie. It's one of your pupils, Stretch Snodgrass. Oh, you mean the brain? The brain. Why do you call him that? I keep hoping that if I just say the word often enough, he'll grow one. <laughs> I'm in the kitchen, Stretch. I'll go finish decorating the living room, Connie. All right, Mrs. Davis. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Stretch. Well, the reason I come over, Miss Brooks, is I brought you something. Stretch, you brought me something. You've seen it through the window, huh? <laughs> 
No, Stretch. I saw it through the window. Oh, then you know what it is I've brang. <laughs> I've brang? Well, that's the past part of sepia of has brung. Oh, I forgot. What sort of thing did you brung? A thing? <laughs> Let's see it. Uh, it's, it's right in this basket. See? A rabbit. But it's a real one. Is he alive? Oh, of course not. I brought him over from my father's pet shop. He's been preserved. You mean you mounted it? No, I rode him over on my bicycle. Stretch, what am I supposed to do with a stuffed rabbit? Oh, I thought he'd make a nice centerpiece for your table tomorrow morning. Oh. If I say so myself, this is quite a good example of taxi... Taxi... You never can get one when it's raining. (laughs) Well, thanks for the rabbit, Stretch. It was very sweet of you to bring it. But before you go, what's that big smudge on your face? Oh, that's from falling off my bike, I guess. I took a shortcut through the meadow. Well, there's a sink in the pantry you can wash in there. Here, take these towels in with you. Towels? Ain't you got no shower curtain? (laughs) We use towels here. It's a new fad. (laughs) And Stretch, if the soap dispenser's empty, you'll find some powder to fill it with in the cupboard. Okay, Miss Brooks. I've got to carry these empty egg boxes out to the incinerator, Stretch. See you later. Nice little pantry. I guess this thing is a soap dispenser, all right. Let's see now. Where's the powder I'm supposed to fill it with? Oh, it must be in these four little bags. It says, Tin Tomorrow. Well, that's a funny name for a soap powder. Well, I'll just dump them all in the dispenser. Now I'll fill the sink with enough water to wash up with. That ought to do it. front part of the house is all set, Connie. Everything back here all right? Everything but me, Mrs. Davis. I've got the strangest burning sensation around my chin. Oh, that's where I applied the freckle off. It says on the bottle that if yours is the type of skin that burns easily, you should wash the cream off with soap and water. Now, she tells me. I'll use the sink in the pantry. I'm all finished, Miss Brooks. Here's your towels back. I didn't need them. Didn't need them? But you washed, didn't you? Well, what's the sense of wearing a long sleeve shirt if you don't use the sleeves? <laughs> a well-taken point. Now, if you'll excuse me, Stretch, I've got to stop this stinging on my chin some way. I've got some smudges out by that incinerator, too. I might as well do a complete wash job. Here goes. Gosh, if my face was as pretty as yours, I'd never wash it. Boy, I'll bet you're going to be the swellest lady in the Easter parade. Oh, I don't care about that, Stretch. All I want to do is brighten the little corner where I am. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. No other dentifrice offers proof of such results. Proof that Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Two years' research at leading universities using Colgate Dental Cream, hundreds of case histories, makes this the most conclusive proof in all dentifrice history on tooth decay. Conclusive proof that when teeth are brushed with Colgate's right after eating, Colgate Dental Cream helps stop tooth decay before it starts. Yes, the toothpaste you use to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. 
now offers a safe, proved way to reduce tooth decay. Modern science shows decay is caused by mouth acids, which are at their worst right after eating. Brushing teeth with Colgate's is directed, helps remove acids before they harm enamel. Colgate Dental Cream has been proved to contain all the necessary ingredients, including an exclusive patented ingredient for effective daily dental care. Get Colgate Dental Cream today. Big economy size, only 59 cents. Always use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay before it starts. Remember, no other dentifrice offers proof of such results. Well, even if Stretch Snodgrass isn't the most brilliant person in the world... Miss Brooks, who has also washed her face in Walter's dye, might easily attain that title. However, since the dye, which is still in the dispenser, requires hours of exposure before it works, Miss Brooks didn't know on Saturday afternoon what a colorful Easter she was facing. Will you answer the doorbell, Connie? I'm just getting out of the tub. All right, Mrs. Davis, I'll get it. Well, Mr. Conklin. Hello, Miss Brooks. To what fortuitous circumstance do we owe the pleasure of this visit from Madison's distinguished principal? This is Saturday, Miss Brooks. You can cut down on the apple polishing. <laughs> May I come in? Of course. Now then, as to the purpose of my visit, with your permission, I'll come right to the point. Permission granted. Thank you. As you know, the Easter parade tomorrow will be covered thoroughly by the press photographers. Yes, I know. The photographers will greet us, and we'll find ourselves in the road to Gravure. <laughs> Very catchy. In the past, I've always been quite careful about which profile to present to the camera when I'm having my picture taken. But in the parade, one never knows on which side a photographer will pop up. And when they look you over, you will be in clover. <laughs> oh, stop that. The reason I'm here, Miss Brooks, is because of this large, ugly freckle on my right cheek. I've, uh, I've always resented this freckle, Miss Brooks. It's the only blemish on an otherwise perfectly chiseled set of features. <laughs> You shouldn't be so self-conscious about it, Mr. Conklin. I've never thought of that as a large, ugly freckle. I always thought it was a dimple. A dimple? Well. Yes, indeed. Many's the time I've looked at you and thought, what a large, ugly dimple. <laughs> Such honesty deserves a reward, and I'll see that you get it in the school weeks to follow. Right now, I'd like to inquire about a cosmetic that my wife mentioned. She said Mrs. Davis told her about it. It's called Freckle-Off, I believe. Oh, yes, that's it, Mr. Conklin. But sometimes it... Say, that would be just the thing for you. Oh, hello, Osgood. Hello, Margaret. Mr. Conklin was wondering if he could borrow some of your Freckle-Off cream, Mrs. Davis. What for? For his freckle. What freckle? Uh, this large, ugly freckle beneath my right ear. Oh, that. I always thought that was a beauty mark. A beauty mark? Well. <laughs> yes, many of the times I've thought to myself, what a large, ugly beauty mark. <laughs> but I've got 
a jar of the cream right here on this table, Osgood. You're welcome to try it. Here, let me dab it on for you, Mr. Conklin. There we are. Say, this stuff burns. Ouch! It's hot. It's well, hot. you wanted to remove the freckle, don't you? Yes, but I'd like it to leave the face. <laughs> Why? I mean... <laughs> Too badly, you can wash it off with soap and water. Just follow me, Mr. Conklin. Well, hurry up. This is awful. There's a sink right out here in the pantry. I'll fill the basin for you. You'll find soap in the dispenser above the sink. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, Mr. Conklin. There's somebody at the front door. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. My car broke down a few blocks from here. I wondered if I could use your phone to call the garage. Of course, Mr. Boynton. Come in. I was driving along, not a care in the world, and suddenly, boom. The transmission, the crankcase, and the drive shaft fell out. Anything serious? Say, it is. The car won't go at all until the... Oh, I've been running along now, Miss Brooks. Oh, hello, Boynton. Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. What brings you to this part of the town? It's a long and harrowing tale, Boynton. But briefly, your friend, Miss Brooks, almost burned half of my face off with some alleged freckle remover. What did you want with freckle remover, Mr. Conklin? Well, I thought it could remove this large, ugly freckle beneath my right ear. You're right. Well, I always thought that was just a mole. A mole? Well, yes, sir. Many's the time I've thought to myself, what a large, ugly... Oh, be quiet. <laughs> Good day to you both. Oh, Miss Brooks, before I use the phone, I'd like to wash some of the grease off my hands and face. I got pretty dirty tickling around with the car. Why, I didn't even notice it, Mr. Boynton. But if you'll just follow me, you can use the sink in our pantry. There's plenty of soap in that dispenser between the taps. Just help yourself. Oh, thanks. This ought to do the trick. Uh, We're going to have our Easter breakfast tomorrow about 10 o'clock, Mr. Boynton. Will that be all right for you? Easter breakfast? Oh, gee, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. That's the reason I drove over, to tell you I can't make it tomorrow. Can't make it? Why not? Well, I got a wire from my folks this morning. They're visiting friends at Eagle Springs, and they asked me to join them. It's only 40 miles from here, and I thought I'd drive up in the morning. Of course, that's out of the question now. It'll take days to fix that car of mine. Good. (laughs) But I I can catch an early train. Now, tell you what, maybe you can borrow Mrs. Davis's car, and you could drive me to the station in the morning. What have I done to earn such a bonus? For those of us who arose on time, the Easter Sunday sunrise was an awe-inspiring sight. And in Walter Denton's house, where his pal Stretch Snodgrass has had permission to spend the night, is another awe-inspiring sight. Stretch Snodgrass. Walter, hey, Walter, are you up? Yeah, I'm up. Let's get dressed and... Ah! What's wrong with you? Well, nothing's wrong with me. It's you. Your face looks like an Easter egg. Easter egg? What makes you say a thing like that? Because you're all purple. Your whole face. Oh, what's so funny? Maybe I got high blood pressure. Sure like to use some of that delayed action diamine. Die? Yeah, I've been keeping it a secret. I call it tint tomorrow because the color doesn't show up until the next day. Tint tomorrow? I thought that was soap powder. I filled the dispenser at Mrs. Davis's with it. Yeah, well, I... 
What? Oh, gosh. I better get over there and warn Mrs. Davis before anybody else uses it. Wait a minute. What about me? How do I get this purple stuff off? Oh, quit worrying. I'll invent some way to get rid of it. And even if I don't... Yeah? I can always dye you another color. <laughs> so, you see, Mrs. Davis, Stretch filled the dispenser with the dye, and anybody that washed there is in for a shock today. Gee, I'm glad you didn't get any on you. Me too. And I hope Connie didn't use it. She's going to take Mr. Boynton to the train this morning. She should be coming in for coffee any minute now. Gosh, I hope everything's I've all... just got time for a quick cup of coffee. Oh, hello, Walter. Hello, hello no! <laughs> What's the trouble? Uh, nothing, dear. You just startled us when you came in so suddenly. <laughs> oh. I'll get myself a cup and saucer out of the sideboard. Look at her, Mrs. Davis. Her face is all green. <laughs> I know, but just don't blurt it out at her. We'll break it to her gently. Just keep drinking your milk. Say, it's after eight. I'd better drink this coffee in a hurry. Mr. Boynton's making a 9.15 train. Where's he going? He's going to spend the day at Eagle Springs with his parents. And I don't mind telling you I'm green with envy. <laughs> Walter, control yourself. I'll get a dish rag. Oh, will you get that, please, Connie? All right. Hello, Miss Brooks speaking. Miss Brooks, this is Mr. Conklin. Oh, happy Easter, Mr. Conklin. I guess you're getting all dolled up Cut for the... Cut the gab. <laughs> Just answer one question, Miss Brooks. What sort of dye was in that witch's brew you smeared on my face? <laughs> witch's brew? Which witch's brew? You're knowing very well which witch's brew brew. <laughs> that freckle-removing junk you put on me. But there's no dye in that. Well, there must have been. You should see my face this morning. You mean it's a different color? Different color? Miss Brooks, I'm plaid. <laughs> Thanks to you and your quack remedies, I look like an Italian sunset. Mr. Conklin, I didn't have any knowledge of any You never have any, any knowledge of anything. Now, hang up. I'm going to call my doctor and get to the bottom of this gook. Goodbye. Goodbye. Well, what do you know about that, Walter? <laughs> Mr. Conklin's face has turned all colors of the rainbow. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Miss Brooks. I must have been thinking of something comical. I better join Mrs. Davis in the dish rag in the kitchen. Mrs. Davis... That was Mr. Conklin on the phone. He just turned plaid. This is terrible, Walter. How are we going to get this dye off the people who washed here yesterday? Well, I stopped at the drugstore on my way over, and Mr. Miller, the pharmacist, said he'd try and figure something out in a hurry. Well, that's at least some hope. Now, maybe it won't be such a shock when you tell Connie her face is green. Uh, me? I think I better go home, Mrs. Davis. What's the matter, Walter? Don't you feel well? I feel like she looks... I guess the only manly thing to do is face the music. Come on, I'll help you break it to her in a roundabout way. Oh, Connie, about that green face of yours. Connie. Connie. Oh, she must have left while we were in the kitchen. Oh, good heavens. What will Mr. Boynton think when he sees her? Who knows? It may be a break for her. He's always been crazy about frogs. <laughs> 
morning. Good morning, morning, Mr. Ah! (laughs) Mr. Boynton, what happened to your face? It's blue. Yes, isn't it awful? I noticed it when I went in to shave this morning. When did you notice your face was green? Huh? It's not really a bad shade of green. My face? Oh, here, here. Stand in front of this mirror. Yes! Calm yourself, Miss Brooks. I... Oh, I, I kind of like it. Reminds me of my pet frog, McDougal. Thanks a million. How did I get this on me? Well, Walter Denton phoned me a few minutes ago and explained the whole thing. His pal Stretch put some of Walter's delayed dye into the soap dispenser in your pantry yesterday. You mean the tint tomorrow really worked? I'll say it did. It won't come off with soap and water or even turpentine. I've... Tried several times. Wait till I get hold of that stretch snodgrass. Well, I'm in a worse spot than you are, Miss Brooks. I've had to cancel my trip to Eagle Springs. Good old stretch snodgrass. <laughs> but if you're not going away today, how about coming over to my place? Oh, no, no, I wouldn't budge out of this apartment with this blue face, Miss Brooks. No, I'm just going to have to stay in until it fades. I, uh, I guess it's an imposition to ask, but, well, I, I thought maybe I could fix up a little lunch here and play some records to dance to, and, well, if it isn't asking too much, would you care to stay here and keep me company? I'll force myself. (laughs) good. I'll go into the kitchen and see about rustling up some grub. Just make yourself comfortable. Oh, don't worry about green face, blue face. (laughs) I'll be fine. I'll get it. Don't slug me, Miss Brooks. Everything's going to be fine. You're so right, Walter. Goodbye. No, wait. Mr. Boynton told me on the phone about canceling his trip, but now he won't have to. Not so loud. What do you mean, Walter? Well, Mr. Miller, the pharmacist, came up with these pills. You just dissolve them in warm water, and it washes the dye off like magic. No, it does, does it? Hand them over, Walter. I'll take them in. Okay, Miss Brooks. I'm sorry for what Stretch did. Well, I imagine I'll see you later on. Far be it from me to knock a boy's imagination. (laughs) Goodbye, Walter. I'm just putting on a timely recording, Miss Brooks. You, uh, care to dance, Miss Brooks? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I holding you too tight? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Do you mind if I hum in your ear? Uh Uh-uh. I'll be all in clover when they look you over. Oh, oh, by the way, who was that at the door just now? The door? Oh, yeah, the bell rang as I went into the kitchen. Who was it? Nobody we know. Happy Easter, Mr. Boynton. Arden returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful, lusterful girl. Tonight? Yes, tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Luster cream, world's finest shampoo. No other shampoo in the world gives you K. Dumas' magic blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Better than a soap... Better than a liquid, Luster Cream is a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair three ways lovelier. Fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, 
manageable. Even in hardest water, luster cream lathers instantly. No special rinse needed after a luster cream shampoo. So gentle, luster cream is wonderful even for children's hair. Tonight, yes, tonight, try luster cream shampoo. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is Eve Arden. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of our sponsor, the Colgate Palmolive Peat Company, and all of us here at the studio, may I extend our warmest Easter greetings. Next week, tune into another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis with Lester White and Joe Quillen, with the music of Wilbur Hatch under the direction of Maurice Carlton. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Leonard Smith. For a beauty bath that brings you glamour from head to toe, get bath size palm olive soap. Yes, ladies, for a velvet smooth beauty lather that caresses your skin, leaves your whole body glowing with the warm blush of fragrant loveliness, enjoy a beauty bath with bath size palm olive. It's perfect for your tub or shower. Just the gentlest massage over your body creates a glorious lather that leaves your skin delightful. Yes, for the most luxurious bath you've ever had, get big bath-sized palm olive soap. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evening over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. For a Christian sci-fi with humor, adventure, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey. Travel with Jarl through the universe and several dimensions as he unearths items to help those struggling to survive on Earth during the catastrophic conclusion of the age. GraceGrows.com has more information. Read Quantum Spacewalker, Jarl's Journey by Grace S. Gross. Andy, did you hear that? Come on, will you? Did I hear what? That whistle. That's the Rinso White Whistle. And Rinso means us. That's right. Rinso gets clothes Rinso White. And Rinso presents the Amos and Andy Show. Rinso for a wash that's... Rinse so white. Rinse so for a wash that's. Rinse so bright. Rinse so white and rinse so bright. Those swell, soapy, rich suds get shirts and sheets, towels and table linens gleaming white. And lovely washable colors stay fresh and bright, safely through wash after rinse so wash. 
That's why women everywhere are saying... Rinso for me. Wash day's a cinch with those peppy Rinso suds helping. And ladies, you'll be mighty proud of the results. Next wash day, get Rinso for... A Rinso white wash. A Rinso bright wash. And now, our stars, Amos and Andy. It seems there's been an epidemic of breach of promise suits in Andy Brown's life recently. And now that the latest one against him has been dropped, Andy is in his office telling Amos and the Kingfish of his new design for living. No more women. I tell you, fellas, it's the truth. I is tired of these breach of promise suits, and I ain't going out with no more women. And that's final. Well, Brother Andy, staying away from women's is going to keep you out of trouble, all right. Yeah, but there's only one thing. You know, these breach of promise suits you done had, Andy, they kind of hit you by surprise. Mm. Now that you is clearing the decks of all women, why don't you make sure that there ain't some other gal around here that you done proposed to and forgot about it? Well, now, there's a coincidence right there. I tell I was just checking up on that very thing before you fellas come in here. Uh-huh. I was halfway through my address book now. See there? Here it is. I was up to the L's. Oh, the L's, huh? Yeah, now let me see the next one here. Eleanor. <laughs> hmm. Now I know I didn't prepose to her. Brother Andy, uh, that one you can cross off. Yeah, now the next L I got you is Elsie. <laughs> I know I didn't prepose to her neither. She's the big fat one with all the double chins. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing you with that one once, yeah. Yeah, she got a mess of double chins, all right. Oh, yeah, I never knowed which was her chins and which was her lips. I never knowed where to kiss her. <laughs> you didn't, huh? No, I finally worked out a system, though. Uh, what was that, Anna? I'd hold a piece of candy up to her face, and whatever opened up for it, that's what I'd kiss. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, that was a smart idea, sort of using the candy as sort of a range finder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, up to now, Andy, you seem to be pretty much in the clear with the gal. Yeah, I can't think of nobody that could cause me no suing trouble. Not a single gal. Uh-huh. I is, uh... Wait a minute. Hmm. There is one that I just thunk of that I might have pre-posed to. Yeah, there is one that I... Well, hello, Henry. Hello, boys. Hello. I was just out shopping with my wife, thought I'd stop in. We met that Sylvia Adams. She was shopping for her trousseau. That's the one. <laughs> I remembers now, I pre-posed to her about two weeks ago when I was sitting on the sofa with her. When I asked her to marry me, she just smiled. I never did figure out whether she smiled yes or smiled no. Well, from what I see of her shopping today, I would say that she definitely smiled in the affirmative. Yeah. Uh, uh, Henry, is you sure that it was the trousseau that she was buying? Well, I seen her buy a long white dress. It had orange blossoms embroidered all over it. Uh-huh. She bought sort of a net veil that went over her head. And most important of all, there was a long train behind her. Do that long train behind her make her a bride? Brother Andy, don't make her no engineer. No. <laughs> well, fellas, they got me again. I can't stand another breach of promise suit. Well, what is he going to do? Come on, Kingfish. We're going over to see my lawyer, Gabby Gibson. Gabby Gibson. 
dare you ask, Gabby. Uh, Andy feels pretty sure that Sylvia Adams is going to sue him for breach of promise. Now, how are you going to handle the thing? Well, first, we've got to see if we've got a case. Yes, indeed, we've got to see if we've got a case. I know. We'll claim that Andy wasn't in his right man mind when he proposed. He was a little testing the head. Oh, but, Gabby, I was the same as I always is. Good, we got a case. <laughs> but, Gabby, you don't get the idea. I don't want to be sued at all. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. You want to be what is known in the legal profession as sue-proof. Oh, yeah, that's uh, exactly the idea, Gabby. Well, to become sue-proof, there's only one way. Only one way. If you was in the army, if you was a soldier, you couldn't be sued. Nobody can sue a soldier. Well, wait a minute, Gabby. Wait a minute. You think I is in good enough condition to pass the physical for the army? Oh, Andy, don't be crazy. You got all you can do to pass the physical for being a civilian. <laughs> Yes, indeed. I guess you're right. Look at that fat on him. Look at that fat. Now, wait a minute, Gabby. There's plenty of muscle there. Where, Andy? Where? In my arm here. Feel it. Let me see you. Hmm. People's getting two red racing points for turning in that stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait a minute, Chief. I got another idea. Since Andy can't get into armor, why can't he borrow a soldier's uniform just long enough to see the gal and convince her that she can't sue him because he's in the army and that will end it? Oh, Kingfisher got a great idea. And it just so happens that Larry Simpson just got a medical discharge from the Army. I can borrow his uniform. Yeah, and you certainly got a right to take these steps, because with all the breach of promise suits you has had, you sure been a victim. A victim of the law of supply and demand. Sup supply and demand? How do you figure that? Well, it's always the women who supply the trouble, and the man who gets it, that's supply and demand if I ever had it. Yes. <laughs> back to the lodge hall and hear the Mystic Knights of the Sea Quartet singing Runnin' Wild. Kingfisher, it was so nice of that fellow lend me his uniform. How'd it look on me? Well, let me see here, Andy. The leggings look pretty good. The pants seem to fit all right. The jacket with the belt and, yeah, the brass buttons don't look bad neither. 
Only thing, Ender, uh, why is you wearing that steel helmet? Well, this fellow I borrowed the uniform from done give his cloth hat to his little nephew for a souvenir, and all he had left was his helmet. Uh, now, the next thing we got to do, okay, Sylvia Adams asks you, is to figure out what these campaign ribbons is on your chest, what they mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got to know that. Yeah, well, now, let me see here. There's a red one there with some white stripes there. Uh, there's a yellow one with the green and blue in there. Mm-hmm. Hey, wait a minute. Uh, what's this pink ribbon? I ain't never seen one like that on a soldier before. Oh, well, I slapped that one on there myself. Uh, <laughs> kind of helped the color scheme. Yeah, but, Andy, you can't do that. You see, every ribbon on there means that you has been in action. And pink, uh, pink means gals. Well, then I really earned that ribbon. <laughs> Now, look here, Anna, look here. You might have been in a campaign with a gal, but they don't give ribbons for that. Now, now wait a minute. Uh, that yellow ribbon there has got two little stars on it. Look at that, two stars. I wonder what that means. Yeah, well, generals wear stars, don't they? Hey, that's right, Anna. And you got two, uh, two stars. Uh, Anna, you was a major general. I is, huh? Oh, boy, that show is... Uh, hold it, uh, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. What's the matter? You was a major general on the chest, but on your sleeve, you was only a corporal. Mm, yeah. Now, look here. It must be some other reason for them two stars. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I remember now. Yeah, I remember the thing. Reading it in the newspaper once. Yeah, you know, that little badge there with the two stars. I remember reading it in the paper. It said, them stars means battles that you was in. Oh, I do? Yeah, and we better decide what them battles was now mm-hmm. in case this Sylvia Adams asked you. Yeah. Now, let me think, uh, let me see here uh, now, what, uh, battle, uh... How about Bunker Hill? <laughs> uh, there you go again. How can you say something stupid like that, Ender? The Battle of Bunker Hill wasn't in this war, Ender. Oh, it wasn't? No, it was in the last World War. <laughs> well, well, where can I say the battle was? I gotta know where I've been fighting. Yeah, I know what to tell her. Tell her you fought in the Battle of Sicily. Yeah, but where is Sicily? I knowed it was coming. I knowed it was coming. Yeah. Ain't no soldier ever been as ignorant as you is. If I was your lieutenant, I'd have you peeling potatoes for the rest of the war. Yeah, well, where is Sicily? Listen, dumbhead, Sicily is in the northern part of France. (laughs) Sicily in France? In the northern part. Now, come here. Look on the wall here on the map here. Sure. Now, let me explain the thing to you with my finger. Yeah. Now, look here. Sicily ought to be right about now. There's the northern part of France. Mm. Now, Sicily ought to be right about... Uh, uh, see, there's the northern part we got here now. Yeah. Hey, Kingfish, wait a minute. Look way down here by Italy. There's Sicily all by itself. Where? Right there. Hmm. Moved it right out of France, didn't it? <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll think of something to tell her when I see her. Now, look here. When you walk into her, though, now, when you walk in her house, act military like a soldier. Oh. Yeah, the more military you is, the more she'll believe you. Yeah, well, I better be getting on over there. Yeah, one more thing now. What? Now, look here. You don't look like a soldier with them sideburns on your face there. You better get yourself a military haircut. Yeah, all right. I'll go right over to Shorty's Barbershop and get one. And listen, Andy, till this thing blows over, let people think you was a real soldier. That goes for Shorty, too. Leave it to me, Kingfish. I'll see you later. (laughs) 
Look, Shorty, don't look surprised. I've been in the Army since last week. I was a real soldier. Yeah, and, and you was a corporal, too. They, they sure moved you up fast, didn't they? Yeah, well, all you got to do is look at me, and you'll see why. Yeah, you, you sure make a good soldier. Uh, you, you, you was a perfect fighting man. Uh, you, you were just a type of looking for... Uh, the Army Center lucky to get you... Uh, they're taking anybody, ain't they? Is that so? Listen, they was plenty glad to get me, and boy, it sure feel great being in the military service. Yeah, I, I know. I was in the Navy once. I enlisted in the War of 1926. Wait a minute, Shorty. There was no war in 1926. Yeah, that's why I enlisted. I, it, it was safer. <laughs> So you was a sailor, huh, Shorty? Yeah, but I didn't like it, though, Andy. I had to sleep in a hammock for three years, and I couldn't stand it. Then I found out what was wrong. Yeah, well, what'd you find out? You know something? What? You ain't supposed to hang both ends of the hammock from the same hook. <laughs> well, listen, I ain't got no more time left for talking. Let me put my helmet down here and get up in your chair. I want you to give me a military haircut. You do? Yeah. What kind of a military haircut does you want, Andy? What kind have you got? Well, first there's the regular one where I cut the hair right down to about a half inch. Then there's the extreme where the extreme one where I cut the hair right down to the scalp. And then there's the permanent military haircut. Permanent? Yeah, no cutting. I just uproots the whole thing. <laughs> Well, give me the regular one, Shorty. Plug in them clippers and make it snappy. Okay, Andy. Here we go. You sure got a bumpy scalp. Shorty, hurry up and finish the haircut, will you? Yeah, I'm doing as fast as I can, Andy. But it, it won't take long with the clippers. I'll be through in just a second. There you are. Shorty, uh, you didn't take too much off the top, did you? Oh, no. I, I, I left enough on top so you, so you could... Uh, you, you still have about an inch and a half. Uh, I, I left a big wave up there just like you... Uh, you, you got plenty of hair up, up there. You, you, you got plenty of... Uh, hello, Baldy. Ladies, this is the story of a bride My named... name's Sally Shepard. I mean, Mrs. Jones. Call me Sally. Sally really got a load of wedding presents. And how. Got a big silver tray from Aunt Florence, a beautiful tablecloth from Cousin Ruth, and a lovely check from Uncle Jonathan. But the one thing she wanted, really needed... I didn't get. Couldn't get. There weren't any washing machines to be had. So, wash day after wash day, Sally rubbed and Sally scrubbed. But Sally's wash, well, it wasn't what you'd call terrific... But then came the dawn. Sally found out about Rinso. Lovely, soapy, rich Rinso. Even without a washing machine, wash day's much pleasanter. Rinso soaks my clothes clean. Yes, ladies, as little as a ten-minute soaking, plus a few light rubs on extra grimy places, and clothes are ready to rinse. And what's more, Rinso gets clothes really clean. White clothes are not just white, but... <whistles> Rinso white. Washable colors come... <whistles> Rinso bright. Safely, even after scores of washings. 
No wonder Sally doesn't mind clothes washing these days. Don't mind doing the dishes either. Rinzo slicks them up in far less time. And Rinzo's easy on my hands besides. Ladies, try Rinzo on the dishes tomorrow. And next wash day for a wash that's Rinzo white and Rinzo bright. How are you? Sylvia, what's this I hear about you getting married? Somebody saw you trousseau shopping. It's true, Joan. Remember John Winters? Well, he's coming back on furlough in two weeks, and we're going to get married. John Winters? Why, Sylvia, I had an idea you were going to marry Andy Brown. Andy Brown? <laughs> oh, Joan, I haven't completely lost my mind. Oh, I did go out with him once or twice. As a matter of fact, he just called to say he was going to drop over here. But I've never given him a serious thought. Well, that's wonderful about you and Johnny, Sylvia. Oh, thank you, Joan. And when Johnny gets back... Oh, there's somebody at the door, Joan. That must be Andy now. But I'll talk with you over the weekend. Okay, Sylvia. Goodbye. Coming! Why, Andy! That outfit... Oh, come in. Okay. Forward, march. One, two, three, four, halt. Dismiss. Well, here I am. Oh, Andy, I don't understand. Why, you weren't in the Army last week. I was always in the Army. It was just that they put me in civilian clothes for a while doing Secret Service work. Oh, what kind of Secret Service work? Uh, I don't know. It was so secret that it didn't tell me. Well, sit down, won't you, Andy? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take off my hat. I'll take it. Oh, never mind. I'll just toss it over here on the table. <laughs> oh, me, I forgot I had on my helmet. Uh, sorry I busted that vase. Oh, that's all right. Uh, but... But how is it that you're wearing a helmet around New York, Andy? 
find most of the fellas just wear overseas caps. Oh, yeah, well, they probably ain't been the thick of it like I am. That's where you really get used to a helmet. Why, up at the battlefront, a helmet is like a second home to a soldier. He washes in it, he do his laundry in it, he even cooks in it. Cooks in it? Really? Yeah, oh, sure. I can remember lots of nights when I has been cooking supper in my helmet over the campfire. Suddenly the bugle blows, charge the enemy, and I'd go into hand-to-hand fighting with a head full of Irish stew. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be combing dumplings out of my hair for weeks. Well, this is very interesting, Andy. Uh, come, sit here on the sofa with me and tell me more. Uh, sit on the sofa? Uh, you know, that reminds me. A buddy of mine was sitting on the sofa with a gal, and he pre-posed to her and then retreated. Uh, she was going to sue him for breach of promise. Well, what happened? Well, she found out that she couldn't sue him on account of you can't sue a man in uniform. Uh, how do you like my uniform? Well, I've noticed it, and I think it's very nice. Oh, yeah, regulation, khaki, brass buttons, and sue proof Oh, Andy, uh, you don't have to stand. Sit down here on the sofa. Yeah, well, that law about not being able to sue a man in uniform show is funny, ain't it? Uh, you got a clearer picture of the thing. Oh, yes, I understand thoroughly. Good. How about a kiss, honey? Uh, Andy, well, say, I'm... Oh, I just had a thought. Uh, you know, I'd like you to meet my father. Now, you just wait here a minute. He's right in the next room. I'll go right and get him. Okay, okay. Oh, boy, everything's working out great. Gabby sure had an idea there about gals not being able to sue a man in uniform. Eyes in the clear now. Hmm. Having this uniform on has really saved the day. I might even pre-pose to her again, you know what? Andy! Oh, uh, yep. Uh, Corporal Brown, I'd like to have you meet my father, Major Adams. Uh, hello, Corporal. Glad to know you. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, is you a real soldier? <laughs> a real soldier? <laughs> oh, oh, Daddy, will you entertain Corporal Brown a few minutes? I must run up and put some makeup on. Uh, me too. I'll go with you. Oh, sit down, Corporal. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'd like to talk to a soldier that has the caffeine ribbons on that you have. Oh. I see by your shoulder patch there that you're in the artillery. Uh, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. About a mobile unit? Mobile? Well, some of the boys are from Mobile, most of them from Birmingham. <laughs> ah, you soldiers certainly have a sense of humor, all right. I'll say one thing, though. From those campaign ribbons you're wearing, you've certainly done a lot of fighting. Oh, yes, sir. They used to call me Blood and Gutter Brown. <laughs> Yes, sir. I've really been in a lot of battles on the Western Front. The Western Front? Yeah. According to those campaign ribbons, you did all your fighting in the South Pacific. I did? Hmm. No wonder them Germans I shot look so slanty-eyed. <laughs> Brown, you're really quite a kidder. Say, wait a minute. Is that an oak leaf cluster I see there? Oh, no, sir, no, sir. That's geraniums. I busted the face with my helmet. No, no, I, I mean on your chest. Oh, 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 on my chest. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> well, nice to meet up with you, Major. Uh, say goodbye to Sylvia for me, will you? I got to rush back to camp. I see. Uh, what camp are you stationed at? Uh, what camp I stationed at? Uh, yes, which one? Well, uh, you go out here. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, 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 it's in that direction. Uh, 
But I got to rush right over there, though, well, right wait now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it possible that you're stationed at Camp Upton? Camp Upton. Uh, yeah, sir, yeah, sir, that's the one, yeah. And I was late. I'm going direct there now. Well, that's where I'm stationed. Oh, it is, huh? Yes. And I've great news for you, too. What's that? I'm driving back in my car right now, and I'll take you with me. Amos, that was a great idea I had about having Andy make believe he was a soldier. Uh, yeah, by the way, Kingfish, where is Andy? He went over to see Sylvia Adams in the uniform yesterday, and none of us has seen him since. Well, uh, it's possible to... Uh, uh, wait a minute, phone, I'll get it. Uh, hello? Hello, Kingfish. Oh, uh, Andy, where's you? Where's you been? I was at Camp Upton. Camp Upton? Uh, what are you doing there? Well, it seems that Sylvia's father is a major at Camp Upton, and I told him I was stationed there, too, so he insisted on driving me back here, and they think I was in the Army. Yeah, well, how can they think that, Andy? You ain't got no papers or nothing. Well, they say that when fellows from overseas get back, sometimes their papers is a month late in arriving. And, you know, I got them overseas campaign ribbons on. Yeah, well, now, don't worry. That'll straighten itself out, Andy, but the most important thing... Is Sylvia Adams convinced that you are sue-proof? Yeah, she knows she can't sue me with this uniform on. Oh, good, Andy, good. Then the whole thing was really a great idea. Yeah, except for one thing. Oh, what's that? My battalion leaves for overseas in two hours. and Andy will be back again in just a moment. A Rinso whitewash. With ease. A Rinso bright wash. With safety. <whistles> Rinso white for a wash that's white as it can be. Rinso bright. B R I G H T. Yes, Rinso keeps your colors bright. Get out more dirt for a wash so white. Here's great advice. You can't go wrong. <whistles> Rinso white. <whistles> Rinso bright. Happy little wash day song. Rinso is easy on you, easy on your washable. Gives results that can't be beat. So make next wash day a Rinso wash day. And now, here are Amos and Andy. Well, Andy, old boy, put it there. Put it there, son. Yeah, yeah. There you, so you finally got out of the army, huh? Yeah, I convinced them that I wasn't no soldier. Yeah, well, you sure wasted a couple of days over at the camp. Oh, they wasn't wasted. Uh, I'm at a cute little whack over there. Oh, sure enough. Mm. Uh, how'd you make out? Well, huh, I got another pink campaign ribbon. to be with us again next Friday evening at this same time when the makers of Rinso will again present the Amos and Andy Show. This program is broadcast to our armed forces all over the world. This is Harlow Wilcox saying good night to all of you from all of us. Say, ladies, 
Would you deny your own boy medicine if he were ill? Help if he needed help? You know, the waste kitchen fats you save and turn into your butcher are used for military medicines, military supplies. Those waste fats are urgently needed. And if you're not saving every drop you possibly can, you may be denying your own fighting man help it is in your power to give. Save every drop of used fat. Take it to your butcher regularly. He'll give you four cents and two red points for every pound. It's only human to perspire. Everybody does. Smart people know that no one is safe from B.O. That's why they use Life Boy in their daily bath. It gives all over head-to-toe protection, and it's lasting protection. Remember, Life Boy is the only soap that's especially made to stop B.O. National Broadcasting Company. Be wise and get the better buys at Woolworths. The Woolworth way is the thrifty way. Every day is bargain day. Be wise. Economize at Woolworths. World War II, Part Two. seemed to go on and on and on. Jim was overseas for 32 months. I was gone for two years. Doug was 27 months in the South Pacific. Don't get around much anymore. David was gone for almost two years. Yeah, I was shipped out in 42. Didn't come home till after VE Day. When the lights go on again all over the The bloody summer of 1943 was over, and now the great Allied air attack on Germany began. On Germany's eastern front, Hitler's armies were saying goodbye to Russia as the Russians drove them across the border into Poland. And the Russians had gained air superiority. The Heinkel whipped over again to the left in an attempt to dive. He looked good for Zirov, my wingman. I rolled to the right as Zirov dropped down after the German and began firing his cannon. At that moment, I Fishing, the American peasants who had built our airplanes were there to witness the fight. I think they would have approved our use of their marvelous aircraft.
In the Pacific, our carrier planes attacked the Japanese fleet and air base at Truk and destroyed over 200 planes and sank over 30 ships. The Allies landed in New Guinea. The war in Italy went on. Yeah, the forgotten war, the Italian campaign. Slow, costly. Hard, bloody struggle from the first landings at Salerno in 1943 right up to the end of the war. And the guys who fought there talked about places like Anzio. Yeah, where the 3rd Infantry took their lumps. And especially they remembered Casino. Oh, everybody got hurt there. Americans, British, French, Canadians, New Zealanders. There were Indians and Greeks, Senegalese, Brazilians. It was a true United Nations Army. You know, Earl, we should let Dave Yamato tell this story. Yeah, you're right. Dave? Oh, David is too shy. Besides, he wants to forget about Italy. Well, someone should tell the story of American soldiers of Japanese ancestry... How hard they fought for this country, how many medals and citations they won, and how they suffered a higher percentage of casualties than any other American unit in the war. Talk about paying your dues. As Bill Malden put it, the Nisi collected enough metal in their bodies and on their chests to sink six battleships. You mean that after putting you behind barbed wire, Dave, we then turned around and drafted you? No, not drafted. David enlisted. In fact... He tried to enlist right after Pearl Harbor, same as Earl. It's all right, David. People should know. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Can I help you, fella? Yes, sir. I'm here to enlist. Enlist, huh? Well, uh... Isn't this the right place? It says so on a door. And out front is that poster with a picture of our uncle. Good old Uncle Sam saying, He wants me. He does want me, doesn't he? Yeah, well, uh... You see, Sonny, uh... I was born in Portland, Oregon. My father comes from Hiroshima, but I'm an American citizen. Well, sure you are, kid. I'd, I'd like to sign you up, but uh, 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 why don't you come back next week, huh? Yeah, yeah, come back and see us next week, or... Uh, hey, hey, the Navy's right next door. Why don't you go see them? Poor Dave. You tried to become an American soldier, and instead you ended up in Wyoming where American soldiers guarded you. Yeah, the detention camps are really a sad part of our history. Sure as long as we're telling sad stories, we ought to ask Tom to tell about trying to enlist in the Navy Air Corps. Please, oh, yeah. not Navy Air Corps. It's called Navy Air. Oh, yeah. Or V-5 Naval Flight Training, if you want to be technical. I don't. I just want to hear Tom's story. Ah, Come on, Sandy, not now. Tom, you should tell it. Doris is right. Sandy should hear the sad tales of the war as well as the heroic ones. Yeah, you, you have to take the bitter with the sweet, you know. I mean, it's just that war stories aren't all sweet. <sighs> okay, gang, I'll tell you my story. Good. We go back to 1942 when I went to see about enlisting in the Navy's V-5 program. I had four years of college and... It's patriotic of you to come in and see us, but Navy Air doesn't take Negroes. No? No. Try the Army Air Corps. So I went and saw the Army Air Corps. I'm sorry, you better try the Army. And did you try the Army, Tom? Yeah, and they had an opening, especially for me. Sure, sure. Happy to have you, you being a college graduate and all. Uh, we're just now making up some new uh, labor battalions. Uh, later in the war, there was some breaking down of racial barriers in the armed forces, but not much. Heck, it took the Battle of the Bulge to get me transferred into a frontline infantry outfit. Beautiful, huh? 
We took Negroes from the South where public drinking fountains and restrooms and even air raid shelters were segregated and sent them off to fight an enemy who, in Berlin, had separate but equal park benches. Those for Germans and those for Jews. Where are we now? It's June of 1944. The Allies were ready to take a crack at Hitler's Atlantic Wall. Codename, Operation Overlord. Objective, the invasion of Europe. D-Day, June 6th, 1944. This was a big moment. The thing we'd been dreaming about and planning since the fall of France. Both the emotional and strategic climax of World War II. 5,300 ships and craft were to carry the invasion force across the English Channel. The largest fleet in history. And the greatest aerial armada in history. 12,000 planes were to bomb, strafe, and land elements of three airborne divisions in Normandy. The paratroopers would be the first to land early in the morning of the 6th. Okay, everybody got that cricket? Yeah, I got it. Never mind Mullins, I didn't ask to hear him. <laughs> Just hang on to that toy. Might save your life. Two clicks at a signal, three clicks for a countersign. After you land, leave your chute and hot put it into the woods to the south of the drop zone. Okay? Stand up. Hook up. Check equipment. Okay, wait for the green light. Wait for the green light. Wait. There. Okay, troopers, let's go. You must understand our confusion. The 709th Division guarded some 30 miles of Channel Coast and the American and British shootists were dropping everywhere. Each of them carried a little cricket, a noisemaker, so they could locate each other in the dark. Click, 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 we heard, and tried to hunt them down before they could reform into large fighting units. One of the Americans got caught in the trees and he was left hanging there, helpless, without a weapon working his cricket. But we found him first. Look, Herr Oberleutnant, up there. Good morning, American cricket. Welcome to France. Come on in yourself, crab. But there were too many of them. We couldn't stop them all. And there was something different here. These Americans were nothing like the big-mouthed Yankees we'd captured in North Africa. These were hardened soldiers, and I remember thinking, perhaps we were not going to win the war after all. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow. The corn is as high as an elephant's eye, and it looks like it's climbing up to the sky. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, why are you playing this? Oh, for escape. I suppose that's why we welcome big Broadway musicals like Oklahoma and Carousel during the war. 
because they had nothing whatever to do with the war. Yeah, remember that other song from Oklahoma? Everything's up to date in Kansas City. <laughs> or Surrey with the fringe on top? Yeah, oh, you people were into that cornball stuff. <laughs> How about some of the upbeat things from that time, like, Is you, is, or is you, ain't my baby. <laughs> or, this is the G.I. Jive, man, man alive. alive. Yeah. Oh, that's about when I first learned how to Susie Q. Yeah. Did you say Susie Q? Sure. I danced, there, honey. Like the Balboa, the Flea Hop, the oh, Jersey God. Bounce. Jersey. They call it the Jersey Bounce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know why the moron pushed the cow over the cliff? Because he wanted to hear the Jersey Bounce. Oh. <laughs> Earl, that's terrible. Well, we had moron jokes, and we also had a neat little phrase made up of three words. It was written on walls, doors, and ceilings all over the world. The same three words? The same three. There weren't any places you could go without discovering that some American G.I. had been there before you and had written, Kilroy was here. Come on, you people, be serious. There's a war going on. Yeah, that's what we kept reminding ourselves. One of the classic things to say to a hoarder or a slacker was, Don't you know there's a war on? That's pretty. What is it? A geisha girl in Japan singing. Well, we had Oklahoma to help us escape thinking about the war, and they had something like this. Dearest Toshi, I'm so tired of war. Do you recall when I enlisted? I was 19, and here I am, seven years later, still at it. I think often of you and our baby and hope you are not suffering too much from the winter cold. You're on Saipan, which is always too hot. To win the war against Japan in the Pacific, America and her allies were forced to island hop from Guadalcanal and New Guinea north toward the Japanese mainland. Mm -hmm. To the Marines fell the task of assaulting some of the toughest strongholds. Endless arguments have been waged over whether each of these landings was necessary. It's too late for that. Necessary or not, they were ordered. They were made. Tarawa, Saipan, Guam, Tinian, Peleliu. What are we celebrating? The end of the war, I hope? No, not yet. It's only August of 1944. But there's good news. Paris has been liberated from the Germans. Now the Germans were on the run. By September 12th, the American First Army was crossing the German border east of Aachen. October, November, we kept right after them. And then in December, trouble. We gamble everything now. We cannot fail. We will not disappoint the fear and the fatherland, who created a sort of retribution. We will march day and night if necessary. Fight all the time. On toward the enemy and through him. Your orders, all out attack. At 5.30 on the morning of December 16th, the Germans hit us with three armies, some 19 divisions. And the roads from Saint-Vie to Bastogne were clogged with retreating Americans. The Battle of the Bulge had begun. And behind the broken and shattered American units came the panzers in a final gigantic effort for Führer and Fatherland. But not all the Americans ran. 
We turned off the stoves in the cook tent when someone said the Germans were almost upon us. They were coming through the woods on our right flank. We took our personal weapons and got into the air raid trench in front of the supply tent. Keep down there. Clerks, messmen, one supply sergeant, and one cook. We could hear the Germans coming through the trees. Then silence. Grenades started raining down on us, dozens of them. Potato matches that made a flat blast when detonated, and big concussion grenades that bounced and exploded with a sharp ear-cracking noise. When the first machine pistol started to chatter, I raised up and saw the enemy coming toward the trench from the right. They were already on top of the fighting holes at that end of the trench. The flash from their weapons lighting their faces, squinting, excited faces. I was busy shooting over Miller's shoulder in the confusion, aiming only at the center of the enemy swarm. With men like that, we finally stopped the German attack. Then, with men like Tom here, who was called up out of a labor battalion to bolster Patton's Third Army, we counterattacked, and on December 28th, started pushing the Germans back out of the bulge. We were late celebrating Christmas that year. And many didn't live long enough to celebrate at all. Mm. That December of 1944 was the bloodiest month of the war for American combat troops. Where are we, back in Bastogne? No, Sandy. We're back in the United States. At the Japanese-American detention camp at Heart Mountain, Wyoming. Winter, 1944. When they first took us from our homes in 1942, we were kept at Santa Anita racetrack near Los Angeles for many months. Living in a hostel was not good, but when we arrived at Heart Mountain, my spirits sank. It looked like a real concentration camp with high barbed wire fences, watchtowers, and guards holding rifles. And the winters, so cold. You've got to realize, Sandy, that many of us were moved from the area around Los Angeles to a place where the winter temperatures got down to 30 below. And someone in camp wrote, Snow upon the rooftop, snow upon the cool, Winter in Wyoming. Winter in my soul. In March of 45, Allied troops began crossing the Rhine River at Remagen. By this time, MacArthur had returned to the Philippines and American army forces had recaptured Manila, Bataan, and Corregidor. The largest marine force ever to go into battle assaulted the tiny rock 700 miles from Japan, Iwo Jima. The American 3rd and 7th Army troops attacked in the Saar Basin, secured it in one week. Slow down, you guys. You're going too fast. No, it's too late. We couldn't slow down if we wanted to. For better or for worse, the American war machine was in high gear, and we couldn't be stopped. Both Germany and Japan were doomed. It was now only a matter of time. Dear father, of the whole division, only 52 men are still in fighting condition. Blyer is still alive, so is Hartlieb. Little Dagen lost both his arms. We still have two machine guns and 400 rounds of ammunition, one mortar and 10 shells. You can be sure everything will end decently. It is a little early at 23, I know. In overrunning Germany, the Allied troops came upon the slave labor camps. The extermination camps, the death camps. 
Dachau. Belsen. Auschwitz. Treblinka. Buchenwald. Meisdenich. Here the Nazis kept millions of men, women and children of all nationalities. Here they systematically killed more than six million people, mostly Jews and Poles in the gas chambers. And, witnessing this horror, we realized what savagery we as human beings were capable of perpetrating in the name of national honor. Now was the time for the last big battle of World War II. The greatest sea-air battle in history. Okinawa. It was also the time of the divine wind, the Japanese kamikaze. The bong, bong, bong of general quarters sounded day and night aboard the ships of the invasion fleet. And by the end of the first month, the Japanese had sunk 20 U.S. ships and had damaged 157. But this was the fleet that came to stay. And while soldiers and Marines ashore engaged in a bloody struggle against the 32nd Imperial Army, the American fleet met and suffered the divine wind from Japan. USS Drexler, Gaiety, Aaron Ward, Anthony, Murray, Brain, Cassin Young, Sandoval, Rodman, Laffey, Forrest, Gilligan, Loy, Mary Livermore, Brown Victory, Franklin, Intrepid, Emmons, Logan Victory, Enterprise, Essex, Abel, Tennessee, Idaho, Adams, Skylark, Indianapolis... On April 12th came shocking news. President Roosevelt was dead. May 8th, Germany surrendered. It was VE Day. Victory in Europe! (laughs) On June 6th, the battle for Okinawa ended. In the rubble of Shuri Castle, one of the strong points of the Japanese line, we dug up two antique bells, scarred and dented by shell fire. And on them was an inscription, written in Chinese. And how will the bell sound? It will echo far and wide like a peal of thunder, but with utmost purity. And evil men... Hearing the bell will be saved. August sixth. The American bomber Enola Gay took off from Tinian. Yes. We all know what came next. I was ten. We were staying at the cottage of Koba, and I was down at the river swimming. All of a sudden, there was an airplane. It came from down the river, 
I looked up at the sky. I was at the bottom of the valley, so I could only see a narrow strip of sky between the hillsides. Suddenly, there was an awful light in the sky toward Urakami. From down the river came a noise like thunder. It was a terrific rush of wind. The leaves were torn off all the trees and came racing along. It was getting dark and cold very fast. I thought an airplane must have crashed into the sun. Japan surrendered. VJ Day. And now, the accounting. Battle deaths. The United States, 295,000. British Commonwealth, 450,000. China, 2,200,000. Russia, 7,500,000. Germany, 2,800,000. Japan, 1,500,000. And what was the grand total? You mean counting soldiers and civilians? Yes. How many human beings? Total dead as a result of World War II. Forty million men, women, and children. God help us. We were all numb. The carnage. The cruelty. The pain. The whole world in pain. And already the Russians were initiating an iron-fisted rule over the countries that they had liberated. And in China, the communists were beginning a new war to seize control of that country. Who cared what Russia was doing? We were going home. At last, our war was over. And we could finally go home. 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 three-car mail train rattled through the sparse Nebraska wheat fields west of North Platte. I sat alone in the coach, looking out at the wheat fields, dreading the job I had to perform. I was the official honor guard for the body of a young American soldier being shipped home. Two cars forward in the mail car were the remains of Private Howard Trask of Stillwell, Nebraska. When the train made its stop at Stillwell, the family was waiting... The dead soldier's young widow and his parents. The body was loaded into a hearse and taken to a funeral home. And I went with the Trasks to their farm just outside town. I had to sit there with the family and say the words that sound so stupid and artificial except to those who know nothing about combat. Your husband was a brave man. His death was quick and painless. He died instantly. I see. He was well-liked by everybody. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. People around here used to make fun of Howard. He was always afraid of not being liked. Howard was supposed to come home before he went overseas. Supposed to come in on the evening train. And I had the porch light lit for him. He never came. But in a long time, I got a nice dish he sent from England. Broken, but hand-painted and nice. And I just kept the porch light on every night in case they sent him home real sudden. You said there was another child beside the baby? Yes, Stevie. He's out in the yard playing. Most likely playing his toy harmonica. Yes, I can hear the harmonica. He's only six, but he said he wanted to learn a hundred songs... By the time his daddy came home. 
This has been another program in the series, Our Nation's Heritage, produced and presented as a public service by Standard Oil Company of California. Ladies and gentlemen, the shadow will be with you in a moment. But first, have you heard the big news about the non-skid tire sensation that protects you against the danger of skidding as never before? This new Goodrich, Silvertown, was turned over to the nation's largest independent testing laboratory, the Pittsburgh Testing Laboratory. Test this new kind of tire against the regular and premium priced tires of America's six largest tire manufacturers were the orders. And here's what the impartial engineers found. The new Goodrich, Silvertown, gave greater skid resistance than any other tire tested, even those priced at from 40% to 70% more. Furthermore, this new Silvertown averaged 19.1% more non-skid mileage than the other tires tested in its own price range, which means you get every sixth mile free. And remember, the Goodrich, Silvertown, offers you both Lifesaver Tread skid protection and Golden Ply Blowout Protection at no extra cost. The Shadow, Lamont Cranston, a man of wealth, a student of science, and a master of other people's minds, devotes his life to righting wrongs, protecting the innocent, and punishing the guilty. Using advanced methods that may ultimately become available to all law enforcement agencies, Cranston is known to the underworld as the Shadow. Never seen only heard, as haunting to superstitious minds as a ghost, as inevitable as a guilty conscience. The Shadow's true identity is known only to his constant friend and aide, Margot Lane. Today's story, The Message from the Hill. Hand me that map, Jake. Yeah, okay, boss. Spread it out on the table, Jordan. Okay. Now, let's check the whole thing once more. All right. Now, here's the Bloomin' Desert Island we're camped on right now. Yeah? It ain't so much bigger than that dot at that. Oh, shut up, Jake. And here's Swanio Island. Right, oh. There's Mount Raleigh and that blessed diamond rind right smack in the middle. See, Jake? Three weeks in the coast and government house by trail. Isolated, you might say. All right, Limey. Is our plane in good shape? Top hole. You sure you can find that mountain? Well, I've thrown up there often enough. Limey, we don't want to get tangled up with the mining company's plane. We won't. The plane goes up from the coast on Friday, comes back on Saturday. We pays our little visit to the diamond mine in between. You're sure they ship the diamonds out every three months? Listen, Jordan, I've worked for those fat-headed birds for over a year. I know. Well, looks foolproof to me. And there's enough diamonds in one of them shipments to keep us all like aristocrats. Are the rest of the native boys in good shape, Jake? Yeah, boss. The cream of the South Seas. They can fight? They may have to. That blasted Major White said 
And what's the chief? He's a tough old bird, he is. Oh, we'll take care of him. I uh, wonder what he'll say when he sees me again. Well, why worry? He won't talk long. What do you mean, boss? I mean that when we get through and ready to leave, we'll wipe out every one of the white men. That's the ticker, Jordan. Don't leave no witnesses. They'll all be corpses. Thomas Lane at the Mount Rawley Diamond Mine. Nice standing, Rick, here. Well, thanks awfully, Mr. Cranston. Oh, here comes a nice-looking boy to greet us. It's Ned Fenton, the assistant superintendent of the Diamond Mine. Hi, Ned. Visitors for you. Well, this is jolly. Miss Lane, may I present Ned Fenton? How do you do? How do you do? And Mr. Lamont Cranston, Mr. Fenton. How do you do? Very glad to be here. It's lovely here on your mountaintop. I'm glad you like it. Let me help you down, Miss Lane. <laughs> oh, thanks. All right. There you are. I suppose this is one of the few really secluded places left on the Earth's surface. Yeah, I imagine it is. By the way, Ned, where are the others? Well, Major Whiteside's off in the hills with the three junior engineers. See them all at mess tonight. Leave the mail sack there, Ricky. Tango will haul it in. By the way, how is Tango? Still down in the mouth? Oh, frightful. Poor old chap. Who is Tango? And what's the matter with him? Oh, Tango's our houseman, butler, cook, and so on. He's mourning for his son who lives on a small island about a thousand miles from here. Poor fellow. When did he hear? Well, a month ago. Same night he thinks the boy died. But I thought you had no wireless station here. No, we haven't. Then... Uh, Tenga's wife told him by telepathy. Told him? You mean he believes his son dead because of a mental message sent by telepathy? It's ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Oh, come now, Mr. Cranston. You don't believe such rot. Well, frankly, I don't think it is all rot. I believe when two minds are in tune, sometimes they can communicate. Across a thousand miles of ocean. On the ends of the earth. Oh, after don't all, I... laugh too loudly, Mr. Fenton. Your disbelief might get a rude shock if you stay in the Orient long. You can never tell what strange things may happen today, tonight... Tenga! Tenga! Oh, confound the fellow. No good lately. You heard about his mourning for his son. Yes, to be sure. You know, I've told Tenga there can't be any truth to his notion, but that doesn't alter his belief. Excuse me, sir. Here comes the old man now. Yes, Master Whiteside. You call? We'll have our coffee now, Tenga. Yes, Master. I bring it. A fine old type, a chieftain, I imagine, his own island. Well, I can't say, Mr. Cranston. Tinker's a good houseman. That's all I know about him. Major, Ricky tells us that on his flight next week, he takes out your quarterly shipment of diamonds. Yes. Sending off a sizable packet of the stones. They accumulate in three months. Mm. Isn't it risky letting them accumulate? I should think crooks might be tempted to line weights and pounds. Oh, nonsense, Cranston. Takes three months to reach us by a trail. Didn't they take a hint from you and use a plane? Can't see how. There's no plane but ours the whole island. None nearer than Australia, I should fancy. Major... Now, if you'll forgive me, I'll take a squint at my mail from the office. No, of course. You other boys must want to read yours, too. Oh, thanks awfully, Miss Lane. There, there is one from home I'm aching. Well, by Joe. Anything wrong, Major? No, no, nothing wrong. Just use it odd, that's all. I bring coffee now, Master Whiteside. Oh, yes. Uh, <clears throat> Tinga. Yes, Master. I have a letter from the office. Message for you in it. The fact of the matter is, your wild guess was right. Your son did die a month ago. Oh, no. Yes, Master, I know. Tinga's wife tell him boy dead. I say, Tinga, we're awfully sorry. Thank you, Master Ned. Well, I, uh, well, that'll be all, Tinga. We'll help ourselves. You may go. 
Yes, master. Singago. Fancy that now. I said that in the East, the unbelievable always happens. Now, will you excuse me? I think I must speak to Tenga, sir. Well, whatever for? I'd like to give the old man a few words of consolation. Oh, I say, that won't do. We never have personal dealings with the natives, Cranston. Bad for discipline, you know. I'm afraid I must ask you to refrain. Why, naturally, Major, if you wish. Margot, supposing you and I go out and look at the moon. Why, of course, Lamont. Lovely tonight. I'll open the screen door for you. Well, what do you think of the Major, Lamont? A fine example of a ruler in the empire on which the sun just doesn't set. Not very nice of him forbidding you to speak to Tenga. Oh, I don't mind. At least he can't forbid the shadow doing so. You mean you'll go to Tenga as the shadow? Yes, Margot. Yes. But Lamont, you'll scare the poor old man silly. Lamont, where are you? Speak to me. It's all right, Margot. I'm on my way to talk to Tenga as the shadow. <laughs> Why should Tenga fear? Many fear the shadow because they cannot see him. The shadow is strange magic. Tenga not understand. But an old man whose son has gone down in the land of dead fears nothing anymore. The shadow weeps for you. The tears of friend are balm to the heart. Is not your sorrow greater tonight because the letter has come making your son's death certain? No. Tenga need not white man's foolish letter. The white major does not understand how you could communicate with your wife across the waters. White men do not know wisdom and magic. Some white men know. That may be. I do not know. You do not question the shadow. You do not ask where I come from. No. The young and foolish question... The old take what comes. Soon I shall be gone. Far away, toward the sea. But Tenga, though I am far off, I will still be your friend. Then our souls will speak to each other again when we are troubled. Yes. For when two spirits are in tune, the waters of the earth, the many miles of forest, do not part them. They can still meet and speak. And then Miss Lee and the Roger back down and paid for every one of the cows. Oh, how interesting, Governor. Yes, must tell her John to Cranston. Yes, indeed. What? That's funny. I, I thought he was dancing with Lady Brainford. No, I saw him going to the garden a moment ago. Your friend's a very restless chap, isn't he? Not ordinarily, Governor, but I, I must confess that he certainly has been jumpy this evening. Perhaps the flight back from the hills upset him. Oh, I don't think so, Governor. Well, I if you'll excuse me, I think I'll go and try to find him. My certainly, Miss Lee. Lamont! Lamont Crest! Oh. Yes? What is it? It's I, Margot Lane. Oh, you Margot. Yes, what are you doing down here on the beach by yourself? Margot, shh. Listen. Listen? I can't hear anything. Nothing at all? Well, just the waves lapping on the shore. There's nothing else to hear. But there is, Margot. You've just interrupted a very interesting conversation. Interrupted? But Lamont, there's no one here for you to talk to. Who, who was it? Tenga. Tenga? 
You mean that old native up at the mine? Yes, Margot. But, but it doesn't seem possible. He's a hundred miles away. In the Orient, Margot, many strange things happen. All evening I've been restless. I had the feeling someone was trying to speak to me. I came out here to put myself in a receptive mood. Well, what did Tango say, Lamont? Your coming disturbed me and the contact was broken. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. But just as you called out, Tango spoke of danger. danger. Yes, something to do with the Mount Raleigh diamond mine. Let's establish contact with him quickly. Sit down here beside me. Yes, Lamont. Now clear your mind, Margot. Think of Tango. Think of the hills about the mining camp. Listen. Ah, there. Can you hear him now? Yes. Yes, I think so. Master Shadow. Master Shadow. Tinga calls you, Master. I can hear you, Tenga. I, I can hear too. Tenga, speak. Tell Shadow. There is danger... Yes, Shadow. White men come to mine. Make war. White men? Strangers? Yes, Shadow. Bad white men. Come rob. Come kill. Where did the strangers come from? Bad white man come in big skyboard. An airplane? Yes. They come with gun. Money gun. They want rob stones from mine. Yes, Tenga. Master White Stone, fix Skyboard. Fix the plane? How, Tenga? Fix so no cannot fly. Bad white man shoot master for this. Kill him. How horrible. Tenga, how many bad white men are there? Many as fingers. And one hand. And three more. Eight. They say, kill Master Ned. Kill Tenga. Kill everyone. Native boys fear. Run to hills. Bad man lock masters in house. Tenga call... Hado, bring help. Yes, Tenga, yes. The shadow will bring help. Hi, Master Shadow. Come quick. Hurry. Hurry. He's gone. Come, Margo, quickly. What can you do? Those bandits are stuck up in the mountains. Major Whiteside wrecked their plane. They can't escape. But they killed Whiteside. We must hurry before they kill all the others. Ladies and gentlemen, there's danger ahead for the shadow, and he's ready for the consequences. But who knows what danger lurks in your path as you roll along over a wet, glistening highway? The shadow knows today's high-speed, slippery, oil-filmed roads... And quick-acting brakes all spell S-K-I-D. Is a treacherous car-spinning skid just around the corner for you? Or are you going to play safe? To fight this dangerous hazard that killed and injured thousands of motorists last year, to protect you in the hazard zone of motoring, where a slippery film of water may make complete command of your car almost impossible, Goodrich 
has developed the new Safety Silvertown with the special skid protection of the Lifesaver Tread. This new development in Tread actually dries wet roads. Its never-ending spiral bars act like a battery of windshield wipers, sweep the water right and left, force it out through deep grooves, make a dry track for the rubber to grip. And remember, motorists, you needn't take anybody's word for how fast this tire will stop you. One free demonstration ride will prove to you that the new Silvertown will stop you quicker, safer than you've ever stopped before, no matter how wet the going is. Many of your friends right here in town have already discovered what it means to be saved by a Silvertown stop. They'll all tell you that Silvertowns below mean greater safety above. Don't take chances. Protect your family, your car, and your friends. Ride on the new Goodrich Safety Silvertown Tires. Governor, Governor, you've got to listen to me. I tell you, I know. Ridiculous, Mr. Cranston. Governor, your friends, those men in the hills, they may be killed. My dear Miss Lane, it's impossible for you to know anything about what's going on up there. Impossible. I told you, Governor, Tenga spoke to us. Please, Mr. Cranston, you can't ask me to believe that. Yes, it's true. I heard Tenga too, Governor. Pure imagination, my dear. Give me a plane and some armed men, then we'll find out if it's imagination. The plane, Mr. Cranston, is for official business only. Not for any silly joyride. But it isn't silly. Tenga called us through mental telepathy, the oldest wireless in the world. Now, Cranston, I think I've listened to this cock and bull story long enough. I'll get back to my guest. Just lend me the plane for No, I won't lend it to you. And I'll put a guard around it in case you have any crazy schemes about grabbing it. But, Governor, these bandits... The bandits, my dear, are creatures of Mr. Cranston's imagination. Nothing more. Please excuse me. I must give my orders to the guard. You may regret this, Governor. I doubt it, Mr. Cranston. If you ask me, you'd better consult the doctor. Touch of a sun, no doubt. Oh, Lamont, what can we do? Do, Margot. We're going up to that mine. But how? We're flying, taking the plane. But you heard the governor. He's putting guards around the plane. Guards, Margot, have never yet managed to stop the shadow. Say, Corporal. What is it? Sitting in this hangar guarding the plane. Ain't it kind of silly? It ain't for you to question the governor's orders. No, sir. But... Well, who's going to meddle with the plane? Never mind that. Orders is orders. Oh, yes, sir. Hey, someone's opening the small door. Who's there? I don't see anyone. Hmm. ain't no one, I guess. Maybe the wind blew the door open and shut. Well, there's no sign of a breeze. Oh, Maybe whoever it was saw us and stayed outside. Just keep your eyes on that plane. Yes. Hey, Corporal, look at the hangar door. I mean, it's sliding back. Yeah, nobody's near it. Who's there? Answer, I said I'll shoot. I'm afraid you can't hit anything, soldier. Who, who, who's Corporal? It's, it's, it's spooks. Yes, my friend, something like that. I'm getting out of here. Blimey, this, this ain't regulations, you know. Leave, leave before it's too late. Yes, sir, I, I'm leaving. Wait. <laughs> Running. Get in, Margot, before they come back. Yes, I'm with you. I'll run her right through the open door and take off. All right. Shut the door. Yes. Thank heaven this plane's got an automatic starter. Hurry. Strap your belt. Here we go.
Oh, I hope we're in time, Shadow. Here come some men now. They heard the plane landing. They're strangers and they have guns. No doubt they're the robbers. The plane's a surprise to them. Yes. There'll be another surprise later. They'll be hardly expecting the Shadow. No. Now remember, Margot, you're alone. No one on the coast suspects what's happening here. I'll remember. Be careful, Shadow. Here they come. Don't move! Come on, I'll drag the pilot out of here, Jake. What's the matter? Hey, boss! It's a woman. Well, what is this? What's the matter? I don't know you. Yeah, let me in there. Why, a girl. Alone. Yeah, look. Hey, what are you doing here, sister? Well, please, put down that gun. Answer my question. Well, I, I borrowed the plane and flew up to see a friend, Ned Fenton. Well, your friend ain't receiving, sister. But thanks very much for the plane. Bring her out, Jake. Sure. Come on, babe, and keep those pretty paws up. Very well. There she is. Now, come on, miss. Jump down here. <laughs> This is a hold-up, isn't it? You catch on quick. Fly me. Can you fly this crate? Sure, easy. But I uh, I used up all the gas. There's gas over in that shack, Limey. Fill her up. We'll bump off the rest of these mining guys and get out of here. I'll get the gas right away. All right, Jake. Bring the dame. I want to talk to her. Okay, boss. Come on, you. I'm coming. Let go of my arm. Come on. Get out of here. says to get him a couple of drinks. And fast, you hear me? Tango here. Scram. Pep it up. Mm, pigs. Tango. Tango. Who calls? The shadow? Yes, Tango. I am here. Shadow come to save Master Ned and White Master. Yes, Tango. The shadow promised when he spoke across the mountain. Here to help. Yes, Shadow. Tell me, where have the bandits put Master Ned and our other friends? They locked in room, main bungalow. Chief of robbers in room outside with gun. Take him the drinks he orders, Tenga. The Shadow will follow you into the room. Yes, Shadow. Drinks ready. Shadow, come. Yes, Tenga. But do not speak to me with others near. No. Tenga knows. Shadow stay hidden. Lead the way, Tenga. They are in here, Shadow. Hey, Tenga. What are you whispering about out there? Nothing, Master. Who are you talking to? No one, Master. See, no one here. Yeah? Well, come on in here with that bottle. Don't grab the poor old man like that. You keep quiet, sister. Hey, boss. The old guy must have money in the bank. He was talking to himself. Tenga, go now. Okay, beat it. And don't hang around outside. If we catch you trying to help those English guys, I'll slit your throat. Tenga, go. How long do you expect to keep me here? Just as long as we want, sister. Maybe we'll take you along when we leave as hostage. I'd rather stay here. There won't be nothing left here, lady, but stiffs. Hey, look, sister. You see that little package on the table? Yes. Well, that's got enough diamonds in it to make us all rich. Sure. Hey, well, what is it, Lammy? I got bad news. Did you fill up the plane with gas? That's just it. 
All they went for the gas, somebody monkeyed with the works. All three motors. Hey, what goes here? Hey, you, sister. Are you trying to pull a fast one on me? Don't be ridiculous. I haven't been near those motors since I landed. That's right, boss. We're going to fix them motors. I don't know. But we've got to find those missing parts if we're going to get out of here. Well, how about taking parts from our plane? There's nothing left to take. Old Major Whiteside went to work on our motors with an axe. Hey, wait a minute. I'll bet one of them guys in the next room got out and did it. Oh, how could they? With two guards outside the window? Jake, you go with Limey and try to find that stuff. And leave the machine gun on the table. Okay, boss. Come on, Jake. Yeah, right with you. Now, listen to me, sister. Yes? Was there someone hiding here beside you in the plane? Someone hiding? I was not hiding, Jordan, but you could not see me. Who said that? I am the shadow. Shadow? Well, where are you, anyway? <laughs> here, Jordan. Here in the shadows. But you cannot see me. Your plan to steal the diamonds has failed. The devil it has. Look. Look on the table. The diamonds. They're gone. I've taken them, Jordan, just as I took the parts from the motors in the plane. You cannot escape. Shadow, my friends are locked in this room. Get away from that door, doll, before I throttle you. No, my friend, let the girl go. Help! He's jumping! Oh, Oh, Shadow, you... I knocked him out, Margot. I must leave things in your hands. I cannot reveal my presence here as the Shadow to our friends. But I will be here watching in the shadows. Now, unlock the door and let our friends out. The key is in the lock. Yes. Hurry, men. Come on out. How in the world? Never mind that. Hurry. Take the machine gun over there. You must arm yourself. There's plenty of guns in the closet there. Jordan, the leader's lying there unconscious, but the others are still free and dangerous. Let's have that Tommy gun, Miss Lane. We'll give them a reception. Miss Lane, you'd better go in the next room there. There'll be bullets flying in here. All right. Hey, boss. Hey, boss. We can't find him. Hey, Jake. Throw up your hands. What is it? Uh, Hands up, I say. Not me, you... Hey, that is got a pistol. Yes, that's for Major Whiteside. Now, come on, fellows. Let's get the other. All right, right, right. Come on, Uh, Shadow, are you still here? Yes, Tenga, I'm here. Then you see Master Ned kill bad man? Yes, Ned had no alternative. They tried to fight. Look through the window, Tenga. Another bad man die. Others fly towards jungle. They go also to their death. Listen. Native drums. Ah, Tenga. I understand. Yes, master. Boys in jungle know these white men bad. They glad to kill them. Their leader, Jordan, there will live only a little longer. Then he will die at the hands of the authorities. He planned well, but he forgot one thing. Yes, Shadow. He forgot Shadow and Tinga speak together no matter where he is. No matter where I am. Yes, Tenga. And he forgot crime always brings its own penalty. No matter whether justice is brought about by means of mental telepathy, recognized detective forces, or the shadow.
I've been listening to a dramatized version of one of the many copyrighted stories which appear in the Shadow magazine. <laughs> the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. into space. The BBC presents Jet Morgan in The World in Peril. crew, after coasting out from the moon for more than six months, have at last landed on Mars. They touch down in the great desert region of the Mare Australis, near where freighter number two, one of the ships of the first expedition, had crashed. They chose to land in this particular place because they believe Frank Rogers, former member of one of the original Mars fleet crews, was in the ship sending confused radio messages to no one in particular. Once they were on the ground, Jet and Mitch lost no time in entering the wrecked freighter, but found it empty. However, the transmitter was found to be working, remotely controlled by Frank Rogers, who was apparently at the polar base on the southern ice cap, where, in fact, on one or two occasions, he had declared himself to be. As Rogers seemed to be in a semi-conditioned state, Doc ordered him to drive one of the land caravans to where the discovery was. Then, satisfied that Rogers had understood his orders, Doc called Jet, who had once made preparations to leave the wreck and return to the discovery. Hello, Doc. Here, Jet. Now leaving cabin and about to enter airlock. We'll call you again just as soon as we get outside. Right. Any further word from Frank? Yeah. He reported he's using the bearing signal and is already on his way. But he still seems very puzzled about our being down here. Okay. Call you in a few minutes. Doc. Doc. What is it, Lemmy? Come over there, quick. Uh, what is it? Those perishing spheres. Hundreds of them. Like a flock of birds and all heading this way. Look at them. Land sakes, they are, too. Do you think they're coming after us? Oh, what else would they be doing? Oh, blimey, the game's up, then. We don't stand a chance against that lot. And what about Jet and Mitch? They'll be out in the open in a few minutes. You keep at the television, Lemmy. I'll call them and tell them to stay where they are. Hello, Discovery calling. Jet, hello. Hello. They're getting very close now, Doc. Almost directly overhead. Hello, Jet. Hello. What's the matter? Can't you get them? No, Lemmy, they don't answer. Those spheres, they've stopped. They're hovering right above us. They must have seen us. How could they miss us? What are they doing now? They're just parked up there, not moving at all. Hello, Doc, can you hear me? Hello, Jet, receiving you. What happened? We were calling you a minute ago. I don't know, our radios went dead. I can't understand why. They seem to be all right now. Well, where are you? Just leaving the airlock and going outside. Well, then get into that truck and get over here as quickly as you can. Why, what's up? Look at the sky, directly above us. Eh? Well, I'll be... Look, Jet, Martian spheres, dozens of them, just poised up there. Into the land truck, Mitch, quick as we can. A darn right. Be ready to let us in, Doc. Airlock's empty, main door is open. You can step straight in. Right. Head 
anything laying carpet airlock now, Doc. Good. What do you think those spheres are up to? Oh, whatever it is, the sooner you both get back into this ship, the happier I'll be. Hey, Doc. Hey, Al. Those spheres, they're coming down. Be right with you. There, see? Huh? Getting bigger all the time. I bet they don't intend that Jet and Mitch should get back to this ship. Hello, Jet. Yes, Doc? Those spheres are descending, and rapidly. Are you going to make it? I hope so. We're about halfway now. Can you come any faster? No, Doc. We're going flat out already. Oh, blimey. Those ships are about down on the deck. I... Oh, oi. What's up, Lemmy? I don't know. I feel all peculiar. Like when Jet and I met up with those asteroids. Yeah. I'm beginning to feel rather odd, too. You, Doc? Oh, dear, oh, dear. What's happening? Hello, Jet, Mitch. Hello, Discovery. Frank Rogers calling. Can you hear me? Over. Hello, Jet. Well, what was that? It wasn't Jet, mate. It, it was... It was... Lemmy, what's happened to you? Hello, Discovery. Rogers calling. Can you hear me? Over. Hello, Frank. This is Doc. I... Hello. I... Hello. Answer me, please. Oh, oh, oh. What happened? Where am I? Hello! Hello, Doc! 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 Now pull yourself together, mate. Don't panic. That ain't gonna help. Now take it easy. Try to think what might have happened. Now, uh, now let me see. Uh, I was standing by the televiewer, watching Jet's truck, and... Oh, yeah, Doc was standing right next to me. And those spheres, those perishing spheres were just about to land. But how did I get here? And where am I? Feels like a mattress I'm lying on. It can't be me bunk. It don't feel like me bunk. Why can't I see? What's happened to me eyes? No! No! Let me, let me, don't panic. It's night and the lights are not working, that's all. Yes. Now, if I opened up the pilot's cabin, I'd see the stars. Yes, that's it. Now, if I can only find the pilot's cabin and open the door... Oh! Oh! Oh, I give myself a clump every time I move. Now, why should that be? Something above me head, that's why. Now, fill it with your hands, Lemmy boy. Easy now. Oh, no wonder. There's no point in trying to sit up. Sideways, that's it. Get off this bed sideways. Oh, no. Something on that side as well. What is this? Oh, oh. Now, now mate, take hold of yourself. You've got three other sides to go yet. Now, oh, oh, nothing there. Oh, thank goodness. Now, put one foot over the side and feel for the floor. That's it. Now, easy now. Just a little further, a little further. Uh, oh, where is it? What's happened to the floor? It's a nightmare. That's what it is, a horrible dream. I'll wake up in a minute, find myself back in the discovery with Doc. Doc! Doc! Uh, oh. Hey, what's that? Who's there? Oh. oh, Doc. Is that you, Doc? Let, let me... Where are you? Oh, it is, Doc. Oh, thank goodness. What's happened to us? What's happened to the lights? Where are we? In the discovery, I hope. I don't think we are, Doc. Are you lying on some kind of a bed? Uh, yeah, I am. Then don't try to get up. You'll only crack your head if you do. Oh, thanks for the warning. And don't try to find the floor. There isn't one. What? Feel around, Doc. Feel about with your hands. Don't move until you have. Uh, doing it now. Well? Oh, there's nothing above me at all. Eh? And there is a floor. I can feel it. And I must be lying on this bed upside down. But where are we? 
This can't be the discovery. What's happened to the lights? Why is it pitch black? It is pitch black, Doc, isn't it? Yeah, Lemmy, it is. Oh, it can't be just me, then. For a minute, I thought maybe oh, I'd come... if you had, I have too. Is, is, is that you, Doc? What? That's Jet! Doc, that's Jet's voice! Lemmy! Yes, mate, where are you? Where are you? Uh, I can't see a thing. Uh, neither can Lemmy or I, Jet. Uh, are you lying on some kind of a bed? Uh, yes, I am. But how did I get here? That's what we've been trying to figure out. Jet? What? Jet, for Pete's okay. sake... What's going on? And there's Mitch. Take it easy, Mitch. But what's happened to me? Why is it so dark? Calm down. We're all in the same boat. Oh, Mitch, how much can you remember? Hey, Well, all I remember is being in the truck with Jet and heading at full speed for the ship. That's all I remember too, Doc. Um, those spheres had landed. I remember that. Uh, one of them had landed just outside the ship and completely blocked out our view of the truck. Well, it's pretty obvious what happened. We were overpowered. Somehow rendered unconscious and, and brought here. Where? How do I know? Well, we'd better find out, haven't we? You fellas stay where you are. I'll get up and see. Oh, screwed. Oh, I cracked me head on something. Aye, aye. I did that, Mitch. Don't try to get off your bunk. There isn't any floor. Aye? I told you, Lemmy, I can feel a floor. Can you, Jet? Uh, yes, I can. This bed can't be more than a, a couple of feet off the ground. Then mine must be ten feet. Your voice, Jet. Yours, Doc. They seem to be coming from a lower level than Lemmy's. Yeah, that's right, Mitch. Well, you two stay where you are. Don't attempt to get up in case you fall and injure yourselves. Uh, Doc? Yeah? If you can reach the floor safely, then do so. See if you can stand up. Right. Well? Yes, I can. Uh, standing by the bed now. Uh, me too. Now, stay put, Doc. I'll walk over to you and keep talking. All right. Over here now. Uh, uh, take it easy. There's no guarantee that the floor is level. It seems to be up to now. Uh, Come on, then. Uh -huh. I'm nearly with you, Doc. Here I am. I can't be more than a couple of feet away from the sound of your voice. No, you can't. Uh, there, I've made it. Uh, that is you I'm touching, isn't it, Doc? Yeah. You still have your suit on. All but my helmet. Uh, have you got on yours, Mitch? Yeah, I have, but like Jet, no helmet. Well, how about you, Doc? What are you wearing? My suit. But I wasn't wearing it in the ship. And I have no helmet either. And I've got mine on. Yeah. Who dressed me and Doc? What's the game? Well, never mind that now. Here, Doc, hang on to me. We'll start from this bed. Find the wall and go all around this place. Feel it out. Right. But take it easy. Smooth wall, just as before. Yeah, but there must be a door of some kind. Of course there must. We couldn't come in through the wall. Well, if there is, we can find no trace uh, of it. Hold it, Doc. Let's stop for a minute. Uh, well? Let's get a picture of this place as far as we've explored it. Uh-huh. Now, first, there's your bed. And Lemmy seems to be in another one some feet above it. Yeah. And now we're back to what must have been my bed with Mitch up above. Yes, and that took us just 36 paces. We didn't find any corners, so this room could be circular in shape. Mm, or oval, maybe. Supposing the beds are opposite one another, and it sounds that way, it can't have gone more than halfway round yet. About that, I reckon, Mitch. Uh, let's keep going, Jet. Right. If the walls are still smooth when we get back to your bed, we'll start searching the floor. Okay, away you go. Here, hold it, Doc. What is it? I found something. What? Hang on a minute. Uh, directly in front of you, something on the wall, Doc. Uh, can you feel it? Uh, yes, I can. Blimey, what's that? The roof. 
It's opening. What? Land sakes, it is, too. It's all right, Jet. It's a kind of skylight, like an astro hatch. Well, it's just as well. Had it been just an opening, we'd have lost all our air. Yeah, whatever you pressed, Doc, must have operated it. Yes. Well, thank goodness we can see something again, even if it is only the stars. I had no idea it was night outside. But stars are no stars. They don't throw all that much light down here, do they? I'm beginning to see things vaguely. Yeah, so am I. I can see that my bed's over yours, Jet. And mine's over Doc's. But there's no ladder to climb down. How did we get up here? Now, we must have been put up here, of course. Must have been pretty strong men to lift us this high, even on Mars. Well, hold on to your hats. I'm coming down. Strength. Good grief. He came down in slow motion. This must be a ship. We're adrift in space. Well, in that case, there'd be no gravity at all. No, there wouldn't be, would there? Uh, you all right, Mitch? Yeah, Doc, but it's a bit of a shock drifting down like that, though. Where can we be? Oh, we must be on Mars, Jet. And why are all this floating around? Is it possible to get up to that, that astro hatch? Oh, we could try. Any of these bunks movable? Um... Uh, yes, they are. They're just standing against the wall. Hang on, Doc. I'll drift down and give you a hand. Oh, uh, no need, Lemmy. I can manage it quite easily myself. It's hardly any weight at all. I'm coming down all the same. Oh, wherever we are, gravity here is less than on the Earth's moon. Well, who's going up to that window? You and I, Doc. Up you go, and, and don't exert yourself too much. You may go bumping into the ceiling. Right. Hey, look at him. Just like he was on a wire. Okay, Jet. Up you come. Coming. There. there. Almost frightening, isn't he? <laughs> Can you see out of that dome jet? Not quite. Uh, lift me up, will you, Doc? I can't possibly weigh more than a stone by Earth standards. Okay. Ready? Uh-huh. How's that? Fine. Well? We're not in space, that's certain. There's land out there, and this place is built on it. We must be still on Mars, then. The ground looks rocky and hard. Yeah, Not unlike the surface of the moon in many ways. There's enough light out there for you to be able to see that much? Yes, Doc. In fact, it's quite bright outside, as bright as moonlight down on Earth. But there's no moonlight on Mars. No, the two Martian moons are too small to give off any appreciable light. Uh, Jet, can you see where the light is coming from? From behind. And whatever is giving that light can't be very high in the sky, either. Here, turn me around, will you, Doc? Let me have a look in the other direction. Sure. Uh, there. How's that? That's fine. I can see it now. It is a moon, a huge one. Good grief. What is it, Jet? That's not a moon up there. What is it, then? It's Mars! you say, Jet. But how can it be? It's there, Mitch, I tell you, hanging low in the sky. Here, Doc, put me down. I'll lift you up. Very well. Now, you ready? Yep. Well? It's Mars, all right. Hanging in the sky like a colossal red moon. And we must be thousands of miles away from it. There's no doubt about it. You want to come up here and look for yourself? No, what's the point? You and Jet say it's Mars, then it must be. Stand clear, Mitch. And you, Lemmy, we're coming down. We're not in the way. Come down as soon as you like. Oh, sorry, Lemmy, but it looks pitch black down there. We can't see a thing. Are you down, Jet? Yes, Doc. Then watch out below. We must be adrift in space, as I said. Wherever we are, Lemmy, we're not adrift. That's solid land out there with rocks and, and hills and a horizon. We're not adrift in space any more than if we were on the Earth's own moon. You think this is a moon, then? One of the Martian moons, maybe? I didn't say so, Mitch. I merely said the surface outside looked similar to that of the Earth's moon. Well, on one of the Martian moons is about the one place we could be. 
And how we got here or who brought us, I hate to think. Well, at least we should be grateful they put us all together. If I'd been alone in this place when I woke up, I'd have gone crackers in no time, I'll swear it. If only we could see something more than just that little patch of sky up there. Here. If it's bright Mars light outside, why is it so dark in here? Because there's no atmosphere out there, Lemmy, that's why. If Mars rises high enough in the sky to shine directly through that hole, then perhaps we'll see something of this place. If it doesn't, then we'll see precious little. Oh! Lemmy, what happened? Oh, I walked into that skyscraper of a bedstead, that's what. Well, put it back against the wall, out of harm's way. You don't want to look out of that astro hatch again? Uh, not at the moment, Lemmy. All right. Oh, sorry. I hardly know my own strength. I suppose Mars light isn't the only light we'll able to get. Of course not. If this is one of the moons of Mars, we're bound to catch the sunlight sooner or later. Well, let's hope so. I'd hate to spend all my time here in this inky darkness. And how much time are we going to spend here? How should I know, Doc? But surely, Jet, whoever brought us here can't possibly intend to leave us here forever. Well, why not? For all we know, this might be some kind of prison. Well, it's certainly that, or we wouldn't be in it. But if it was intended that we should be left here to die, why go to the trouble of laying us all out on beds? Maybe they thought we were dead already. Trust you to think of something cheerful, Emmy. If they'd wanted to kill us, they could have done, and been sure it was well done. No, but there's no record of a Martian ever killing anybody, Jim. I'd rather they did kill me than keep me cooped up in this black hole for the rest of me days. Well, our imprisonment here may be only temporary. Well, let's hope so. Well, there's no point in sitting here moping over the fact. Let's do something. Or dance, only you couldn't see me. Well, what had you in mind, Doc? Well, when we found that panel, or whatever it was that opened that skylight... We'd only got halfway around this place. I think we should continue our search. Yeah, why not? Perhaps we find another panel and the old roof will fall in. All right, Lemmy, that'll do. Now, where were we when we found that panel, um, Over by your bed, Jet. We'd about reached it, judging from the sound of Mitch's voice. Very well. You and I'll go back to it and go over the spot again. Uh, but this time with our suits off. We'll not be so clumsy, then. Can I take mine off, too? It's getting like an oven in here. Yes, Lemmy. And you, Mitch. Okay. We lay them on the bed. Let me just move back to the wall. Mine on the extreme left, then Doc's, then Mitch's, and uh, finally yours, Lemmy. Then we'll find them easily in the dark, should we want to put them on again. All right, Jet. That's mine in position. Now what? Well, Doc and I will cross the room and find that panel again. From here, it'll be to the right of the bed. And Mitch, you will come over with us too. But when we reach the bed, you go to the left of it. Right. Now, feel your way around the wall, up and down as far as you can reach. And what do I do? Uh, you start from this side. Go round to the right. You should meet Mitch halfway. Yes, mate. All right, gentlemen. Let's go. Let's hope there's not a hole in the floor. How you doing, Jet? Not very well, Mitch. We can't find that panel this time. Well, it can't be far, Jet. It was somewhere near here, I swear it. How are you doing, Lemmy? Gradually making me way round, but the walls are smooth as glass. It don't seem to be a crack or a bump in it anywhere. Oh! Oh! Lemmy, what happened? Oh! Blimey, Mitch. Let me answer me. What happened? I tripped over Mitch. That's what I might have hurt myself. Why didn't you warn me? How could he warn you when he can't even see you? Well, he heard me talking, didn't he? He could have warned me he was near. I'd have been glad to, Lem, if I had been anywhere near you. Well, I... Hey, you mean... From the sound of it, we're still on opposite sides of the room. Then who's this over here? There can't be anybody. There is, Jet. I tripped over somebody. I thought it was Mitch. Stooping down, examining the wall. It was just about here. Oh! Oh! Oh, no! Lemmy, what is it? There's somebody lying on the floor, and he's cold, as cold as ice. Where are you, Lemmy? Over here, Doc. 
You're not far from me now. Oh! Oh, oh, oh. Sorry, I couldn't see you. Now, where is this body, as you call it? Lying on the floor, Doc. Right by me feet. Uh, oh, yes. There's somebody here, all right. Is he alive, Doc? Oh, I don't know. Give me a few moments and I'll find out. Well, who on earth can it be? How should I know, Mitch? I've never yet recognized anybody just by touching him. It gave me such a shock. I didn't think there was anybody in here but us. I wonder if there's anybody else. Hey? Well, why not? Well, if there are, there must be others who died here. And that's what's going to happen to us, I'll bet. While Doc's examining that fellow, we three had better continue searching this place. Oh, no. We'll split up. Finish going round the walls and then cover the floor methodically so no part of it is left out. Whoever this is, he's as much alive as we are. But his pulse is slow and he's cold to touch. I'm going to carry him over to my bed. Very well, Doc. I'll make my way over there, too. Uh, we'd all better, I think. Uh, did you hear that, Mitch? Lemmy? Yeah, Jeff. I'm right near Doc's bed anyway. Well, I think he's about as comfortable as we can make him without being able to see him. I suppose he is a normal man, Doc. Not a Martian or anything. Yes, Lemmy, I think so. And he's wearing a spacesuit without a helmet. Who can he be? Uh, where could he have come from? Goodness knows. Well, is he going to recover? Without looking at him, I can't say. All I know is that he's alive. Um, you found nobody else, of course. No, Doc. I believe we went over every inch of this place. There are only five of us here. That's one too many. And how long are we going to stay here? And what are we going to do about getting out? I don't believe we can get out. Uh, and even if we could, it wouldn't be safe to go, not without helmets. There's no atmosphere outside. Or well, so Jet said. I still say it. Isn't there any way we can find out where we are? Well, we're on some body or other that revolves around Mars. Probably one of its moons. But which? Well, a careful observation of the sky should tell us. Hmm, but we see so little of it from down here. We'll move one of the bunks to the middle of the room, directly under that opening. Two of us will climb to the upper bunk and keep constant watch. In that way, we should be able to make a fairly good guess at where we are. All right, let's do it now. What about sleeping arrangements? Sleeping? You've only just woken up. Well, it seems ages ago to me. It may seem like it, but I'll bet you what you like is not more than an hour or two. What's the point in betting? I've got nothing to bet with. And another thing, when do we eat? I'm getting hungry. Then you'll have to go hungry. We've no food here, that's certain. Thank you very much. I'll have two helpings. Uh, first watch will be taken by Mitch and me. After that, Doc can keep lookout through that hatch by standing on Lemmy's shoulders. Of course. Well, what's the odds, Lemmy? He can't possibly weigh more than a few pounds by Earth standards. Yes, yes, yes. Now, with two of us keeping watch and that unknown person occupying the lower bunk of the other tier, that leaves just two beds empty whenever the two not on watch feel like sleeping. Worked out just nicely, didn't it? All right. The first watch will start right away. Now, let's move that double bunk back to the middle of the room and Mitch and I will get upstairs. <laughs> We watched in pairs in what we believed by observing the stars to be two hourly intervals. Mars, which had been hanging low in the sky when Jet took his first look at the silent world outside, disappeared below the horizon during the first watch. We were left in total darkness, but for the starlight, which sent the faintest glow through our peephole. Whoever it was Lemmy had discovered lying on the floor now lay, so far as we could tell, motionless on the bed where I had placed him. Lemmy and I had taken our second watch, and Jet and Mitch, feeling tired by now, had lain on their respective beds, one below Lemmy and me, the other above the stranger. In spite of having no bed covers and having taken off our spacesuits, the chamber in which we were confined was quite warm, perhaps a little too warm, and neither Jet nor Mitch lost any time in falling asleep. At least, we assumed that to be the case, for uh, a few minutes after taking over the watch, neither of them answered when we called them. I suppose they're all right, Doc. Why shouldn't they be, Lemmy? I don't like they're not answering when we call them. Something might have happened to them. How can they sleep if we keep waking them up every five minutes? That's a point. 
Now, come on, lift me up. I can hardly see anything from down here. Yes, Doc. Uh... What was that? Uh... Somebody groaning. It must be Chet or Mitch. Something has happened to him. Calm down, Lemmy. Hey? Quiet. Listen. Uh... I don't think it's either Jet or Mitch. It's that fellow laying down there on the bed. Uh, put me down, quick. There. Man's sakes. What kind of a groan is that? Let's get down to the floor level, Lemmy, and wake up Jet. Look! The hatch! It's closing! Stay where you are, Lemmy. Don't move. Oh, blimey. That's goodbye to what little light we did have. Oh, oh shut up, can't you? Doc, where are you? I've just reached the floor. Let yourself down and keep a tight hold on the bunk until you reach floor level. Yes, Doc. Oh, now what? Pete's sake, what's going on? Where are you, Doc? Standing right by you, Lemmy, and oh. don't shout in my ear. Oh, sorry, I didn't know you were so close. That noise, it stopped. Jet, Jet. Why well, doesn't he wake up? How can he sleep with all that row going Jet, on? Jet, wake up. You must be standing next to his bed, Doc. Get hold of him and shake him. Oh, that's what I'm about to... Good grief. Now what? His bed, it's empty. He's not in it. Oh, crikey. What are they trying to do? Send us mad? Look, Lemmy, do you think you can find Mitch's bunk? Uh, yes, I, I think so. Should be directly behind me on the other side of the room. Then get over there. See if you can find him and wake him up. Oh, mother. It must be one long, horrible dream. It must be. Jet, Jet, where are you? Mitch, wake up. Ah! Lemmy. Is that Mitch? Who's... Oh, blimey. Doc, Doc. What is it? The geezer, the cold one. He's got up and he's walking about. Then grab hold of him, Lemmy. Hang on to him. Hey? Go on. Oh, yes, look... Oi, you! Where's he gone? Hey, he was here a minute ago. I've lost him, Doc. He must have walked away from me. Then keep walking towards Mitch. But if you bump into the other fellow again, hang on to him this time. Doc, I, I can't. How do you mean? Well, Mitch's bunk, I I've got no idea which way it is now. I've lost my sense of direction. Oh, okay, then walk back to me and start all over again. Come on. Yes, Doc, coming. Oh, there they go again. It's giving me the creeps. Come on, you're getting closer to me. Yes, Doc, I can hear I am. Oh! I've got him, Doc. I've got him. I've got him. Let go, Lemmy. It's me. Oh, 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 sorry, Doc. Pull yourself together now. Oh, line yourself up and have another try at oh. finding Mitch. If you don't find him this time, find the wall and walk round it until it brings you to his bunk. Now, is that clear? It'd be much clearer if there was some kind of light on. Yeah, well, there isn't. Now, keep going. Meanwhile, I'll grope around and try to find Jet. Oh. Oh, there's his nips again. He seems to be on the far side of the room. What's he have to make that noise for? Well, the more noise he makes, Lemmy, the better chance we have of finding him. Noise? Isn't that enough noise for you? Enough to waken the dead. Oh, oh what am I saying? Mitch! Mitch! Hey, what is it, Lemmy? Well, for Pete's sake, what's going on? Oh, you're awake, boy. Thank goodness. Lemmy! Uh, oh, oh, what are you oh. doing back here? Oh, I must have walked around in a circle, come back to where I started. Then stay here. Doc, what's that noise? And who closed the lookout hatch? Nobody, Mitch. It closed of its own accord. Well, what's happening? You tell us, mate. Mitch. Yeah? Jet is missing. He's... He's what? And that fellow we found unconscious is up and walking around. Lemmy keeps bumping into him. Good heavens! What's that? We don't know. Noises like that have been going on for the last ten minutes or more. Well, I'm coming down, Doc. Just keep talking so I can find my way to you. What? 
Mitch, wait. Stay where you are. Well, why? Look at the floor. It's glowing. Part of it, anyway. A circular patch. Like a transparent manhole. It is a hole. I can see down into it. You can? Yeah, Doc. That must be the entrance to this place. And... Struth! Oh, blimey! That manhole's opening! <laughs> That was episode eight of Journey into Space. Taking part in this recording were Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, and Don Sharp as Mitch. Other parts were played by David Jacobs. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Chilton. Now, Sugar Crinkles, the sugar rice treat that's just right sweet, is proud to present Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. And that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Take it easy, Mom. You know your young folks are going to eat when you give them sugar crinkles for breakfast. Yes, boys and girls love sugar crinkles. And no wonder, it's the sugar rice treat that's just right sweet. Makes breakfast more fun than a circus. Now, the reason sugar crinkles suit your folks to a T is this. Some sugar-coated cereals they've tried seem too sweet. Others don't seem sweet enough. But when they dip their first spoonful of sugar crinkles, mmm, they've discovered a sugar-coated cereal that's just right sweet. And say those young folks of yours love to dip into the pack and eat sugar crinkles as a snack, too. So better get several packages. And now, Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad.
Surely you're not Marshal Dillon. Well, no, surely I ain't, mister. Then please find him for me. He's busy. All right, I'll wait. Sure. You wait. Good heavens, man. You like it? No. Then listen to this one. Chester! Yes, sir? Put that comb away. I can hear it clear out back. Oh, well, all right, sir. I'll go out back and play it. But if I can hear it from there, I can hear it from here. All right, Mr. Dillon, if you feel that way, I won't play it at all. No worries. Good. Marshal Dillon. Yeah. I'm Philip Locke from Philadelphia. I arrived on the Santa Fe this morning. Now you're a long way from home, Mr. Locke. Unfortunately, yes. But I came here for a purpose, Marshal. Oh, and what's that? I'm looking for someone. A girl, as a matter of fact. Well, there's lots of girls in Dodge. You shouldn't have much trouble. If you please. Shut up, Chester. Yes, sir. This girl wrote her mother in Philadelphia that she was teaching school here, Marshal. However, she's never been heard of at the school. Well, maybe she's moved on somewhere. But they say she was never at the school. I'm afraid something's happened to her. Well, a lot of things can happen to people out here. That's precisely why I've come to you. I want you to find her immediately. <clears throat> You're not in Philadelphia, Mr. Lark. But I'll keep an eye open for her if you'll tell me your name and what she looks like. She's about five feet four, and she's blonde... A very pretty girl. Uh -huh. Her name is Laura Simmons. Laura Simmons? Yes. Do you know her? Uh, no. No, no, no. He doesn't know her. Neither do I. But uh, I'll see what I can find out for you, Mr. Locke. Wh where are you staying? At the Dodge House. And I must say, I've been in better hotels. Well, bad as it is, you wait there, huh? I'll come to you if I have any news. It's most urgent that I find her at once, Marshal. Uh, sure. Good day. <laughs> Marshal Dillon. Hello, Laura. Well, uh, come in, Marshal. Come on in. Uh, thank you. Hello, Matt. Uh, or, or Kitty, uh, I didn't expect to find you here. No, this is Laura's room, not mine. How'd you know I lived here, Marshal? You've never been here before. Well, I asked Sam downstairs. It's a wonder he told you. I think Sam's sweet on Laura. <laughs> Kitty. Well, I do. You two can gossip about all that later, huh? Right now, I've got some news for you, Laura. You have? Yeah, there's a man here looking for you. His name is Philip Locke. Philip? Hmm. In Dodge, oh no. I figured it might be bad news. Well, I can't have him find me here. Well, he went to the schoolhouse first. And then I told him you'd probably moved on, but... Uh... He still thinks you're here somewhere. Well, I wrote Mother I was teaching school. He must have gone to see her. Well, if you don't want to see him, honey, you don't have to. I can't see him. I can't have him know I work in a... a saloon. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I know, but... Well, you see, I... 
I was engaged to Philip once before I left Philadelphia. We were about to be married when his family found out that my father had been a riverboat captain. I, I should have told him before, I guess, but... Well, anyway, they called off the wedding, and I was so ashamed I ran away. Came out here finally. What about Philip? What'd he do? <laughs> the Locks are a very aristocratic family, Kitty. I guess he had to do what they wanted. Not much of a man, if you ask me. Aristocrat or not. I was in love with him. And I think he was with me. Are you still? I don't know. How can I know? But he mustn't find me here. This is exactly the sort of life they said I was best suited for. His mother herself told me so. I've known nicer people than that on canal boats. I've got to hide somewhere. He'll go back and tell my mother and it'll just break her heart. I, I just can't face any of it. Uh, look, Laura, why don't you go out to Ma Riley's until he leaves town, huh? She'll be glad for a little company. That's a wonderful idea, Matt. Come on, honey, I'll take you out myself. It's only a few miles. Oh, you're very kind. You might kind of spook him back to Philadelphia, Matt. <laughs> well, I'll try, Kitty. Thank you for it, Chester, but I hate to see you not get your money's worth. Oh, well, get it. When you decide it's time to buy us a beer. Oh, I'll buy, I'll buy. It's almost time, Doc. Sure, it's a good thing. Oh, tell me, Matt, is Laura still out at the uh, Riley place? You're shying away from the problem. But anyway, she's there. Locke isn't likely to leave town this soon. I saw him last night, and I told him I'd heard Laura had gone to Denver. Ah, uh, did he believe you? I don't think so. But I warned Sam to tell him the same thing in case he came snooping around here. Uh, oh, it's a sad story. Poor girl. Well, she's better off without like him, if you ask me. Women are strange, Chester. They fall in love, and that's that. I sometimes wonder if it has anything at all to do with a particular man. Why, of course it has, Doc. I remember what a little Kyle girl told me once. She said, Chester, she said... I didn't know you spoke Kyle with Chester. Well, I don't exactly. We used a kind of a sign language, you know. Yeah, I can guess. Uh-oh. Who's this? Marshal Dillon? Uh, hello, Locke. I want to talk to you, Marshal. Uh, you've met Chester here, and this is Doc Adams, Philip Locke. Adams? How do you do? Marshal, I think you lied to me about Laura. Oh, is that so? Most certainly is. There's something mighty strange going on here, and I think you're mixed up in it. Now look, maybe Laura doesn't want to see you, if you thought of that. I'm going to see her if I have to kill you to do it. Kill me? Mister, you ain't even wearing a gun. I don't have to. What do you mean? I've hired a man who'll shoot anybody I say for $500. Ah, Philadelphia must be quite a town. 
You have until this time tomorrow to produce it, Marshal. And remember, I'm a man of my word. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you are. Well, of all the nimby-nambies. Uh, he's probably one of those who hired someone to fight in the war for him, Doc. It's all he knows. Look, Mr. Dillon, he's talking to Pete Noonan at the bar there. Pete Noonan? Is that his gunman? Well, looks like it. And of all the evil, no-good, drunken crook, he ain't even much of a gunman. No. I always took Pete Noonan to be a little off in the head. He is, Doc. You never know what Noonan might do. He isn't like other men. That's what makes him really dangerous. Does your heart good, I know, when your young folks eat all of their breakfast cereal. That's why I'm so happy to tell you about new Sugar Crinkles. Sugar Crinkles, you know, is the sugar rice treat that's just right sweet. Crisp golden nuggets of sugar-coated rice. They make breakfast more fun than a circus. Why, young folks love Sugar Crinkles so much, they disappear like magic. Now, you've had experience with sugar-coated cereals that seem too sweet to you and others that just don't seem sweet enough to the youngsters. Well, what a wonderful surprise Sugar Crinkles will be to your whole family. For new Sugar Crinkles really are just right sweet. Remember, Sugar Crinkles make great snacks, too. Better get several packages. For your breakfast or a snack, you love Sugar Crinkles. Sugar Crinkles can't be big. Sugar ice cream that's just right sweet. With milk for the breakfast joy. And a snack from the pack, oh boy. Can't be beat, just right sweet. Sugar crinkles, good. To eat. Now back to Gunsmoke. Philip Locke first hit Dodge looking for Laura. I didn't think he'd cause any real trouble. I felt sorry for her, of course, but I wasn't hired to settle love affairs, good or bad. And it wasn't until he hired Pete Noonan for a gunman that I began to get worried. Noonan was off in the head and about as predictable as a loco steer. With him around, it made for a bad situation. But there was nothing I could do except wait and see what happened. Locke had given me 24 hours to produce Laura. It was getting close to the deadline when I went over to the Texas Trail. I saw her this morning, Matt, but she didn't say much about anything. The poor kid. Well, she can't stay there forever. And Locke hasn't shown any signs of leaving. Maybe she ought to go on to Pueblo or Santa Fe or something. Give her time, Matt. Yeah, sure. And I got nothing to do with it. Uh, Kitty. Oh, you too, Marshal. Now, what is it, Sam? Uh, one out back, both of you. Huh? What for? You'll see. I gotta go take care of the bar. Sam must be drunk. No, he's sober. Come on, let's have a look. All right. I still say he's drunk. 
Sam doesn't drink his own liquor. I don't blame him. I wish I didn't have to. You don't? I wouldn't if I lived on a little ranch somewhere, Matt. Had chickens and things. Uh, Sam's liquor isn't that bad, Kitty. Laura, what are you doing here? I made up my mind. Hello, Marshal. Laura? I didn't want to go inside just yet, so I've been sitting out here talking to Sam. You mean you're coming back to work? I've been thinking a lot about everything, and I'm going to face it out. No matter what anybody says. Are you sure you're right, honey? There isn't any other way to do it. Philip came here because he wants me back, and I won't lie to him. Well, I guess it's up to you. Where do you want to talk to him? Marshal, would you find him and bring him here? Out here? No, just take him to the bar inside. I'll meet him there. to meet her. Yeah. Uh, Sam, bring us a drink, huh? Sure, Marshal. We'll wait here. She'll be along. Well, Laura always was rather different. Here you are, gentlemen. Oh, thank you, sir. Good evening, Marshal. Laura. Hello, Philip. Laura, that dress. Like it? What are you doing here? If you'll buy me a drink, Philip, I'll tell you. A drink? Of course. This is how I earn my living, Philip. You work here? Yes. Now, will you buy me a drink to start with? No. No, no. Him, Laura, he don't mean nothing. He'll get used to it. Oh, no, it's just like what his mother said about me. It's true. Philadelphia. Well, what do they know in Philadelphia? Lace on their pants. Here, Laura. Hey, have a drink, huh? Thanks, Marshal. I need it. you go home, huh? I'll get Kitty to take you. All right. Wait. Laura. Yes, Philip? Laura, I can't leave. I started to, but I can't. I came to find you, and I'm going to take you back with me. You are? Yes. This is quite a shock to me, of course, seeing you here in this place, but... I can forget about that. I'll try, Laura. Will you, Philip? Yes, I promise. And we'll never mention it. Ever. To your family, you mean? To anyone. It'll be a secret. It will? Always. If nobody knows, perhaps it won't matter. I'm not sure, Philip. I think it'll always matter. To me. I don't understand. Hmm. You wouldn't understand, mister. Laura, let's get out of here while we can talk. No. What? You heard her. She don't want to go. Will you keep out of this, Bob? No, I won't. What kind of a man are you anyways? 
This little girl's done nothing to be ashamed of except earn her living, which is probably more than you've ever done. What makes you think you're good enough to judge her anyway? That's enough. You'll try to forget about it. You ever think of anybody but yourself? You're no good, mister. Laurie here's worth a hundred like you. I'm proud of her. I don't care what she's done or, or who knows it. You're proud of me, sir? Of course I am, Laura. I won't hear any more of this. Are you coming, Laura? Oh, tell him, Laurie. Go on, tell him. Well? No, Philip. I'm not coming. I'm going to stay here. Mister, you heard her. Now get out before I break the bottle over your head. Goodbye, Laura. And you, bartender. You'll die for this. Don't try that, Locke. Keep Noonan out of this. Nobody tells me what to do, Marshal. Noonan? What's Noonan got to do with this? Locke's hired Noonan's gun. Oh, no. Well, he'll kill you, Sam. Uh, that Noonan, he's crazy enough, too. Yeah. He is, Sam. <laughs> outside, like you said. Oh, why aren't you there now? Well, because he's coming, sir, right up Front Street. Known him? Yes, sir. He's alone, though. I figured he would be. All right, Chester, after he comes, keep an eye on the door. Yes, sir. Sam. Well, what did you have, Marshal? Noon will be here in a minute. Get out of sight. Well, I ain't afraid of him. You heard me. Now get out of sight. Okay, Marshal. Come for Sam. Where's he? What do you want him for, Nolan? Well, I've been paid to shoot him. That's what for. You want to hang, Nolan? <laughs> I was born to hang. Where's he? Look, I'm going to throw you in jail for a couple of days. Maybe things will be clearer to you then. Come on, huh? No, Marshal. Don't do that. I've got to earn my $500. All right. But you'll have to shoot it out with me first. With you? What you got to do with it? I, I want nothing to do with you. There's a law against murder, Nolan. I know that. And what makes you think you can shoot Sam and get away with it? Well, I got $500. Right here in my pocket. Want to see it? Look, Noonan, to see if you can understand this. Either you take your money and you get out of Dodge, or you're going to jail. I ain't going to jail. You want a draw on me? I'm no fool. All right, then get out. Fast. Now go on. Move. You don't leave a man much choice, Marshal. Guess I'll have to go. Bye. So long. (laughs) 
you sure got rid of him, Marshal. Well, I hope so. But he wouldn't have had much of a chance at you anyway. What? <laughs> Look at Laura there. I wouldn't have missed him, Sam, even if he had got the Marshal. Well, I'll be it. Lori, where'd you get that shotgun? Yours. The one you keep upstairs, I borrowed it. <laughs> There's blood in this girl, Sam. Did you ever tell you her father was a riverboat captain? <laughs> Marshal, huh? I'm closing bar. You'll have to do your drinking somewhere else tonight. It'll be a pleasure, Sam. Yeah. Come on, Laurie. I, I want to hear more about your old man. Sure, Sam. Sure. <laughs> Just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's adventure on Gunsmoke. You know, what you are tomorrow depends on what you eat today. So, Mother, be sure the big and little Indians at your house always eat a good breakfast. And tell me, what could be better for breakfast than post-toasties? Post-toasties, you know, are the heat-good cornflakes. The best thing that's happened to corn since the Indians discovered it. But all of the talking in the world couldn't tell you how downright delicious post-toasties are. You have to taste those crackling, crisp flakes. Yes, you have to taste that sweet kernel corn flavor toasted. Then you know how perfectly wonderful breakfast can be. Put post-toasties on your shopping list right now, Mother. Just watch how your whole tribe goes for them. Remember, post-toasties are the heat-good cornflakes. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Joyce McCluskey, Harry Bartell, Vic Perrin, and Lawrence Dobkin. Farley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Ken Peters speaking. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Listen next week at this time when Gunsmoke will be brought to you by Post Toasties, the heat good cornflakes. And now Post Toasties and Sugar Crinkles wish all of our listeners a very Merry Christmas. For a Christian sci-fi with adventure, drama, and a touch of romance, read Quantum Spacewalker. Anira's assignment. Anira Henderson was used to dealing with every kind of trauma in her job as an emergency room tech. Then, the disaster that wiped out her family, except for her brother Jarl, landed tragedy squarely on her own lap. In the midst of her grief, she is recruited to join an elite force of universe healers. Fixing radically broken things has always been her life's dream. But, this just took it to a whole new level. Read Quantum Spacewalker, 
and near his assignment by Grace S. Gross. Here we are all ready to take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner. Brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. You hear a lot of stories about men who started business with a shoestring and fought their way up to the top. They make us mighty satisfied with the human race. But there is another kind of success story that stirs us even more. Somehow we are even more touched when we hear about a helpless little baby that started life with the odds against him and then grew into splendid health. One of those true stories is told in a letter that we just received from Mr. and Mrs. W.P.V., Chicago. Listen to this. Our baby was born only last June. I was a very unfortunate mother as I could not nurse my baby. But as soon as we brought him home from the hospital at 11 days of age, we began feeding him Horlicks malted milk. After his first month, you should have seen how well Horlicks was agreeing with him. He had not only gained plenty of weight, but his body was strong and solid. Now, at eight months and 15 days, he is such a healthy baby. A great many people praise him for his rosy complexion and his well-developed body. Both my husband and I are very proud. We want to congratulate Horlicks for our baby's health. Ladies and gentlemen, results like that with Horlick have been the experiences of mothers and fathers for nearly 50 years. Thousands have raised their babies on Horlicks, the original malted milk. And now, let's see what's happening down in Pine Ridge. Well, Abner is in the height of his glory now that he's been made president of the Jotham Down store. He has authority over Lum now, and he doesn't hesitate to show it at every opportunity. As we look in on Pine Ridge today, we find Abner and Cedric sitting out on the front porch of the store during a lull in activities. Listen. Mr. Cedric, like I've always said, the money that's made in the store business is made in the barn, not in the selling. In the barn? Yes, sir, in the barn. <laughs> I sure had the right square backwards, and I always thought a fellow run the store made his money when he sold something. No, no, that, that's where most fellas are mixed up on it, too. Well, it looks to me like the best thing for us to do then be just to lock up the store here and spend all our time buying up stuff. <laughs> well, of course, we've got to sell it after we buy it, else it uh, wouldn't be no time till we'd have a store stacked up so full of stuff it wouldn't have no room for nothing. Yes, sir, but if, if you made the money out of buying it, you could just give the stuff away, looks like. I, I know folks would come and carry it off for nothing. Well, I don't believe you understand what I mean, Cedric. It's uh, sort of hard to explain on account of you don't know nothing about the mercantile business like I do. Well, no, I reckon not, but I still don't see how you make no money buying stuff. Looks to me like you're just spending money then. Well, now, uh, hey, well, it's now supposing that, uh, say they wanted 30 cents a piece for brooms and, uh... For brooms? Yeah, and I was to buy a whole dozen of them, and they cut the price down 25 cents. Why, I'd make a nickel on every broom. And a whole dozen would be uh, five food at ten and five one five. That'd be 50 cents I'd make right there on that dozen of brooms well, in the box. I do know. <laughs> if he's paying you 50 cents a dozen for buying them, I'd just buy all he had then. 
Well, now, uh, well, he don't pay me 50 cents, Cedric, till I sell a broom, see. Oh, you don't make the money out of them till you sell them, huh? Why, sure, you make the money when you... Uh, no, no, I reckon you... Uh, well, if you don't make it till you sell it, it looks to me like you'd make the money when you sell it then. Hey, Logan, now, wait a minute here. Now, there's something wrong there somewhere. I don't see how that works myself here, but uh, that's what Lum said. Said you made the money in the store business out of the buy instead of the selling. He ought to know. Well, I, I know we don't make nothing out of our crops over there at the place till we sell the stuff in the fall, regardless of what our seeds Well, there comes old Grandpappy Spear. Yeah, I reckon he's coming over here to argue about our prices. <laughs> that blamed old skin plant. Every time you price him something, why, he says he can buy it down at Dick Huddleston for less. But he always winds up by taking it. You ought to give him something someday and see what he says. Yeah. <laughs> well, he'd more than likely claim that Dick would have given him twice that much. <laughs> <laughs> he's a terrible hand to try to beat fellers down on his prices, all right. Yeah, it's just an argument every time he comes over here. I'm just a good mind to tell him just to go down to Dick's before ever he opens his mouth. That blamed old tightwad. <laughs> yes, sir, that'd stump him a bit. Makes me so mad I can't hardly stand myself. Look at him. That blame. Why don't you just go on down to Dick Huddleston's and get it? Huh? What'd you say? I'd say, why don't you go down to Dick's store and get it if he's got our price beat so bad? Like your price would beat on what? I don't know. Whatever you come over here to buy. I never come over here to buy nothing. I just come over here to loaf a while. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> yeah, come up and sit down. Yeah, I did, Cedric. Hello, Mr. Grandpappy. Yeah, sit down, sit down, Grandpappy. Yeah, what you fellas doing sitting out here on the porch this way? Oh, there weren't nothing going on, so we just thought we'd sit out here and sort of soak up some of the sunshine. Yeah, yeah it's nice out today. Yes, it is. Yeah, it won't be long till planting time. I heard some geeses going over, going north last night. I reckon the cold weather's about gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, them peach trees over at the place is budding out something wonderful. Fish ought to bite today, Grandpap, warm as still. Oh, my, yeah. But he'd have to get behind a tree to bait his hook yeah. around it. <laughs> yeah, who's that coming up yonder? Oh, I don't know who that is. Oh, stranger. Uh, team looks familiar. I saw that sorrel there on the far side there somewhere. Yeah? Well, that's a team from a liverborn in there at the county seat. Uh, that fella there in the buggy must be a drummer if he's got a derby hat on there. Yeah, he, he must have rented that rig from the liver stable. Well, if he'd drive clean out here to see me, he's just wasting his time. I'll tell him that. There ain't a thing we're needing. Well, them fellas have got to take him chances, you know. Can't ever tell until they get out here. No. Howdy, howdy. Get down, get down. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. How do you do, sir? Uh, Cedric, uh, hold the gentleman's team for him, man. Is the uh, proprietor of the store inside there? Well, I'm the president and the buyer, if that's who you're looking for, but I ain't inside. Uh, sir, you're the very man I'm looking for, then. My name is Hedges, representing the New Discovery Chemical Company. Yeah, I'm proud to make your acquaintance, Mr. Hedge. My name is Peabody. I'm representing a... No, I don't reckon I'm representing nothing. Well, sir, I'd like just a few minutes of your time, Mr. Peabody. I want to show you one of the greatest discoveries of the age in the way of a cleansing compound. Soap to you. There it is. There, Mr. Peabody, is what is known as the world's wonder soap. Something up until today that you've never heard of. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of soap. I don't... Look very clean right now, but I, I know what it is. There's uh, an article, yeah. Mr. Peabody, that'll be as common in every household in a few years as the old-style soap. Something you can't be without in your store well, here. Well, now, we've just got more soap now than we'll ever get shut up, Mr. Yes, Hayes. you have soap, yes, but you don't have the world's wonder soap. The soap oh. that wouldn't you wouldn't hesitate to use on the very finest of fabric. Cleanses anything. Silk, satins, cottons, removes any kind of stain. And still, gentlemen, it's so harmless that you need not hesitate to use it on the most delicate of skins. Even your baby. Just a moment. Let me show you. I'll give you a little demonstration here, here son. 
Son, uh, if you'll just help me a moment here, these horses will stand. Yeah, help the gentleman there, Cedric, whatever it is he wants you to do. Yes, just hold the axle up there, son, while I remove this wheel. Go and demonstrate something here. Now, you gentlemen have all been around wagons and buggies long enough to know that axle grease, axle grease, just ordinary axle grease, is perhaps the hardest thing to remove from cloth. Oh, yeah, there ain't nothing that'll take it out, nothing. Well, up up until now, Mr. Peabody, but you haven't seen the world's wonder so demonstrated. Oh. Now, we'll just lay this wheel right here, and I'll take this white silk handkerchief out of my pocket here. Yeah. And we'll rub the axle grease, all the axle grease possible, off the axle onto the handkerchief. Yeah, you're See just that? throwing in a good handkerchief there. That's what you're doing. Yeah, that'll never come clean. No, no, you ought to use the old handkerchief for that, mister. All right, now, son, I'll, I'll slip the wheel back on there. And I'll lift the buggy a little higher. Yeah, there. Just run that handkerchief. I'll put the tap back on there before I forget it. Yeah, you about run a wheel off, you don't, sure. All right, now, son, if you run in the store there and get me a little pan of water, I'll show you gentlemen what a wonder this wonder world wonder soap really is. Now, just bring a wash pan, Cedric, with a little water in it. Now, Mr. Peabody, we can only sell one merchant in each city. One, huh? We give one merchant and only one the exclusive rights to handle our product. Uh-huh. Our company is spending millions of dollars advertising this soap, introducing it to the good people of this country. Well. I came to you first because I was told that you were a wide-awake merchant. And I see now that you're a man of intelligence and worthy of being our representative in this community. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> all right, son, just set the, set the pan down right on the porch Yeah, just set down there, Cedric. That's all right. Thank you. Yeah. Now, first, we'll take a bar of World's Wonder Soap. Yeah. See how pretty and white it is? Yeah, it is. We'll simply place the bar of soap in the water here and then work up a fluffy white lather. Well, see how nicely it lathers? Oh, it foams right well. Yeah. Now, we'll place this handkerchief right in the pan. You see, the handkerchief's almost completely covered with axle grease. Yeah. The hardest stain in the world to remove. Oh, it is, yeah. It only takes a moment to rub it clean. Yeah, you ought to get a washboard, I'm fearing. No, that isn't necessary. Now, you see, we wring it out good and... There you are, gentlemen. Every stain removed. Well, for the land, she's sure taking it off. Well, that's the beatenest thing I ever seen. No chemicals, no acid, no strong ingredients of any kind. A soap made strictly from vegetable compounds. I know that. How much did that soap sell for, Mr. Hayes? Uh, 25 cents a bar, Mr. Peabody. 25 cents. Hmm. Should ask 50, but you can sell it at 25 cents and a nice little profit. Uh-huh. And I believe I'll just try a bar of it. Well, I'm sorry, Uncle, but you'll have to buy it from Mr. Peabody here. He's our exclusive agent. Yeah, I, I might try a case of it. A case of it? Yes, sir. And I'm sorry, Mr. Peabody, but I can only take orders in 10-case lots. Run $5 a case. That's $50 for the shipment. $25 in advance, of course, to show good faith. Yeah, well, I don't think I'd want that much, Mr. That's Hayes. all right, Mr. Peabody. No harm done. I can go to the next door down here. I'm sure that gentleman would be glad of an opportunity to represent Well, here, now, wait a minute now. I never said that I weren't going to take it. I just said that, uh, well, write it up. All right, 10 cases. Yeah. Now, let's see. What's the style of the firm here, Mr. Peabody? Style. Yes, what's the name of your oh, store? Oh, 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 jot them down, store. But I just thinking here, I reckon I'll have to pay you out of my pocket. I don't think we got $25 in the cash store in there. See? Well, that's all right, Mr. Ten, Peabody. And then 10 is 20. And one, two, three. Well, here four, comes four, Mr. Love. <laughs> he ain't short yet, Oh, he? he'll be tickled to death. <laughs> all right, thank you, Mr. Peabody. That's all right, sir. Now, here's your receipt. Yes, sir. Well, I'm in a terribly big rush, gentlemen. I've got to cover the territory as fast as I can, of course. Yeah. Uh, just mail in your orders for the soap as you need it, and I'll take care of you personally, Mr. Peabody. Well, fine. I'll see you in about six months. All right. Much obliged yeah. to you. <laughs> I don't think we'll sell all that soap in one day. <laughs>
<laughs> That's the beatingest stuff I ever seen. One day it'll move the whole works out. Yeah, I'll that... get some of that quick as it comes in. Oh, so yeah, we'll keep you in mind, Grandpa. Hey, Lama, I got something to tell you. Some good news for you. <laughs> yeah, tell you. Who was that fellow that just drove off there? Why, he's a soap drummer. A soap drummer? Yeah, that's what I want to tell you. <laughs> he might know something about soap, but he sure don't know nothing about a buggy, I'll tell him that. About a buggy? Yeah, he must be crazy. <laughs> I seen him down the road a while ago, just before he come over here to the store. He taken a hind wheel off the buggy and washed all the axle grease off the axle and, <laughs> and then rubbed black tar soap all over. Just common old black tar soap trying to use soap for axle grease. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. <laughs> the money in the store business is made in the buying, not the selling. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have trouble in getting to sleep at night, here's a suggestion. When bedtime comes tonight, just mix some Horlicks malted milk with hot water. It is not necessary to add milk unless desired. Then, take a cup of this delicious, satisfying hot food drink just before you get into bed. The light, easily digested nourishment will soothe your nerves. It will relax you. You will sink into a deep, peaceful sleep. While you slumber, Horlicks will be helping your body to build up those worn-down tissues. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, you'll feel fresher. You'll feel more like making tomorrow a better day. Try Horlicks tonight. This is Carlton Brickert speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlicks, who now bid you all good night and good health. Many years ago, tomato soup and cream of tomato were unusual dishes, enjoyed very much, but not very often. Today, of all the soups in the world, tomato soup is the one most often served. Not because women have taken to making tomato soup frequently. No, on the contrary, few housewives ever attempted anymore. There's just one reason for tomato soup's popularity, and it is this. The magic, matchless flavor of Campbell's tomato soup. There's a lively verve, a dashing zest about this flavor that people take to at once and come back to and enjoy again and again. The first racy taste of it has a way of arousing a desire to eat, and yet there's a pleasant feeling of satisfaction when the last spoonful is gone. So this soup is a happy choice for the main dish at lunchtime or at supper, and it also is a fine way to start the day's main meal. Serve it sometimes, too, as cream of tomato, made with milk instead of water. You can always be sure that it will be received with pleasure. Because this, of all soups, is the one people like to have most often. Campbell's Tomato Soup. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Hello, Sheriff. I can't hear you for the storm. We were cut off before. Hello? Is that you, Sheriff? I said... Hello? You get cut off again, Mr. Dollar? Not this time, Shorty. Somebody cut the wire. The phone's dead. Then we got no way of getting white out. No way of getting help. No, not at the moment. And he's out there in the dark somewhere. 
He's got a gun in his nose. Tell him what he may kill you. Do. Shorty, get away from that window. Well, we know where he is now and what he intends. Because he just made a try at it. What are you going to do about him? Only thing I can do, Shorty, go get him before he gets me. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar at the Cronin Estate, Wells Falls, New York, to the Home Office, Surety Mutual and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Cronin Matter... Protection of a half-million-dollar necklace. Expense account continued. Item 10, $135. One tweed sport jacket to be purchased on my return. Both lapels and one shoulder ripped by a bullet. Also one pair of slacks to match. Destroyed a few minutes later in the mud, slush, and underbrush in the grounds of the Cronin place while pursuing a suspect who'd already tried twice to kill me and who made a third go at it when I stepped out of the side door of the house. Away from the door, quick. Whew, boy, that was close. Yeah, he can see the door opening, but he can't see us, not in this mess. He's desperate. He's shooting blind. Look, Shorty, yeah? why don't you go on back in the house? There's no reason for you taking chances like this. You're taking them? With me, it's a job of work. I get paid for it. I told you earlier how I felt about Dolly, I mean. I don't know what Jason Prell's game is, Mr. Dollar, but if it's against her, then I'm against him. I'm staying. All right, it's up to you. Thanks for giving me the gun back. Emergency, that's all. You've got a prison record, Shorty. You know what it means if you're caught with a gun. Yeah, I know, I know. Hey, good. I figured Prell would give himself away if he kept that up. I got him spotted now. Where? At the base of that tall pine, a little to the left. Watch for it, the next flash of lightning. There, yeah, yeah, now I see it. I know the one you mean. Then stay here and keep him pinned down. It's a good spot. You've got cover from the wall of the terrace there. What are you going to do? Circle around and come up beside him. Just throw a shot at the base of that pine tree now and then. Keep him tied down. Keep him busy. You got it? Right. And good luck. I left the shelter of the house and started edging through the shrubbery. The undergrowth was a regular jungle. It would have been impossible to slip up on Prell without his hearing if it hadn't been for the storm. Shorty Weber fired now and then at the pine tree. And twice Prell fired an answer. Jason Prell, so-called friend of old Mrs. Cronin, knew I had him tagged. At first, I'd been guessing mainly, but he didn't know it. And he'd lost his head and made the guess prove out. And now he was apparently ready to risk murder or death rather than face a prison term. I was within 30 feet of him. He hadn't heard a sound. He was still firing at Shorty over on the terrace. His back was turned partly toward me. He didn't know I was near, so I leveled my gun. Get your hands up, Prell. Drop that gun. You covered. He whirled, peering into the darkness of the bushes, trying to see me. He knew I was close, but he couldn't tell where. He raised his gun, started to turn, and... I'm not quite certain what happened next. The light was bad, and I could hardly see him. Whether he stumbled accidentally or... Or what is something I'll never know. All I know is that when I walked over to him, he was dead. He was no good, Mr. Dollar. I always thought so, but Dolly swore by me at her fool. What about Barnaby, her husband? He couldn't stand Prell at first. Later, they got us tickets, thieves. Yeah. Well, it's a mess, Shorty, a real mess. Old things that should have stayed dead and buried on the bottom, they're all coming to the surface now. Tell me something, Mr. Dollar. Yeah? What about Dolly? Is this thing going to kick back on her? 
Will she get hurt by it? Yeah, shorty, I'm afraid she will. Pretty badly. It was deep into the night, edging toward dawn, when I got back to the house. I changed out of my wet clothes, went to the game room, and got Dolly's necklace from under a chair cushion. I'd stuck it there when Pearl had pulled the main switch and put the lights out. Then I went upstairs to look in on Dolly Cronin, quietly, just to check. But it didn't work out that way. Johnny, is that you? Yeah. I didn't mean to wake you. Oh, you didn't. I've been awake most of the night. Come on in, Johnny. All right. How are you feeling? Oh, just fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I feel fine. Good. Isn't Laura Dean a nice girl? Huh? Yes, she is. And I'm glad she came. Company for you, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Quite a storm we had, wasn't it? Oh, it was beautiful. All that lightning, wind, and the thunder. Oh, I haven't seen such a beautiful storm since I was little. Johnny, thought I heard shots a while ago. Shots? Outdoors. Off toward the woods somewhere. Oh, it might have been lightning, thunder. Sounded like a gun. Like somebody shooting. Well, sound plays funny tricks up here in the mountains. Oh, I guess so, but... Well, I've been thinking back over the past so much that makes the present a little unreal. I'm afraid the past is about all I have left now. Now, don't be so quick to sell this future of yours short. You've got a lot of years yet, good years. Well, I had a lot of good years. Good friends, good times, a good life. And best of all was Barnaby. You loved him very much, didn't you, Mrs. Cronin? I worshipped him. He was perfect. He never did a wrong thing in his life. Now that he's gone, is the one fine memory I always cling to. Oh, if I didn't have that, well, I, I just couldn't go on. Well, then let's hope you never lose that memory. Of course, there were other good friends, too, over the years. Like Jason Prell. Hmm. He is so quiet. And withdrawn, it takes a long time to get to know him. He's been such a good friend to me. So patient with all this silly ignorance of mine about business problems. Yes, I'm sure he has. I just don't know what I'd do without him. Yeah. Now, don't you think you'd better get some sleep? In a little while. You know, Johnny, it's funny how things work out. In what way? I was born and grew up Right here in this village. Yes, your housekeeper, Miss Atherton, told me the two of you were girls together. We were inseparable. Like I said, I grew up here and then I went away. And Barnaby and I came back and built this house. And we went away again. There were always so many places to go, new things to do. It's a big world, isn't it? And finally Barnaby came back for the last time. And died here. All alone, poor boy. And now I've come back. The place where I was born. 
everything finally comes home. Doesn't it, Johnny? Yes, nearly always. I'm very tired. I think I will sleep now. Be good for you. The necklace, Johnny, do you have it with you? I sure do. Here you are. So beautiful. And so many memories. All so long ago. Put it on me, will you, Johnny? Of course. Raise up now. Just a little. There. How do I look? Sweet enough to kiss. Well? Nice. You go to sleep now. Yes, sir. I'll only look at the necklace for one minute only. Then I'll take my pills and go to sleep. And then I'll dream up a dream. A great big dream. Good night, dancing darling. It's been a long time since anyone called me that. A long, long time. Good night, Johnny. Thank you. I left her and went downstairs and rustled myself a pot of coffee. I sat down by an east window and drank it cup after cup and watched the morning sun come up. Dream a big dream. Well, before many more hours, she was going to need a big dream. There was no way of keeping it from her, all of it. The fact that Jason Prell was dead, shot, that he'd attempted murder and tried to steal a necklace. And worst of all, that her beloved Barnaby had probably been as big a crook as Prell. girl who can't sleep sits this one out with you? Sure. Pull up a chair, Laura. Like some coffee? Just black, thank you. I guess it wouldn't do much good to ask you what's been going on around here all night. Something has? Like I said, I guess it wouldn't do much good. Here's your coffee. Oh, thanks. That's how I found you. Just followed the smell of this coffee. Mm, good. I guess if I said I heard somebody shooting up the place during the storm, you'd just say, really? Never use the word. And I guess if I showed you that broken window over there, you'd say maybe a pigeon flew in. Might, if I happen to think of it. I'm sorry all this kept you awake. Oh, don't apologize. I probably wouldn't have slept anyway. Why not? Guilty conscience? Don't be silly. I didn't even do it. Do what? Whatever it is I'm supposed to feel guilty about. Lying is what I had in mind at the moment. Oh, I do that all the time, but I never feel guilty about it. I just call it making up things. Like claiming you were the niece of Fritzy Morrell, <laughs> Mrs. Cronin's oldest friend. Gosh, went out my windpipe. Like claiming you're Fritzy Morrell's niece. Mostly I drink tea, but you already had the coffee Like made. claiming you're Fritzy... All right, all right. How'd you find out? Nothing very spectacular. She just didn't have a niece. I wasn't sure, but I thought she must. Everybody her age has at least one niece. What was the idea? Well? Well, I lived in the same rooming house she did. She liked me, talked to me a lot before she died last year. So when the invitation came last week, I got the idea of going as her niece. I didn't mean any harm by it. I just wanted to go to the party. All right, relax. That's about the way I figured it. Well, it turned out to be quite a party, didn't it? I hope I never see another one like this as... Johnny. Johnny, what's wrong with her? It was Miss Atherton. I got up slowly from my chair as she walked toward us and then stopped a few feet from the table. 
Her eyes were fixed on something far away, and the look on her face was strange and grim. I think I knew even before she spoke. Mrs. Cronin is dead. There'll be another intriguing episode in our story of the Cronin matter tomorrow. Tomorrow, the questions and the answers for the living and the dead. The final payoff. And fate itself plays the last trump. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by Les Crutchfield, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Looking for a book that combines the Christian faith, with a fantasy adventure? Creator's Call does just that. 18-year-old Edward has been raised with tales of distant lands where dragons and other strange beasts dwell. He dreams of one day joining the Keepers, who fight against them to keep the land safe, however, life's obstacles keep him firmly rooted in the small town of Cadestone. When 17-year-old June comes passing through, following a dream given to her by the Creator of the Universe, Edward's life is about to change. Pursued by a demon-possessed man, the two of them are forced to flee to areas where dragons and monsters are not just tales but reality. June and Edward eventually discover what the demons want from them. Is it possible to defeat this evil and save everyone from the darkness that threatens their lands? Creator's Call is a Christian fantasy novel with clear Christian messages. A book that glorifies God while taking you on an adventure. Pick up a copy of Creator's Call today. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. Sixteen persons have been robbed and beaten senseless. The victims describe the assailant as a tall, beautiful woman. Your job, stop her. 
If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Ladies and gentlemen, next week marks the beginning of National Crime Prevention Week sponsored by your local police department. These seven days are set aside to call your attention to the fact that your police officer, to better ensure the safety of your community, relies on the cooperation of the individual citizen. We feel that crime prevention should be observed not seven, but 365 days a year. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, October 3rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way over from the city hall, and it was 6.55 p.m., and we got to the county hospital, Ward 9800, room 12. This way, gentlemen. The third bed. Thank you. Here we are. Please try not to excite him, Sergeant. He's had a pretty hard time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Make your visit as brief as possible. We will. Thanks. Mr. Maloney, how are you feeling? Not so good. You fellas doctors? No, sir. Police officers. This is Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday. Robbery detail. Oh. Find out anything yet? Still checking, Mr. Maloney. We'd like to have you tell us exactly what happened night before last. Well, she sure had me fooled. That's all I can say. You're not the first one. Fifteen others ahead of you. Would you tell us what happened? Well, I left the shop a little after midnight, and I started to drive home on Central Avenue. You worked at Maloney's Steakhouse down on South Commercial, isn't that right? Yes, sir. My uncle owns the place. His name's J. Brown Maloney. He knows a lot of cops. You know him? We met him this afternoon. Could you tell us what happened after you left work? Well, uh... I started to drive home out Central Avenue. I guess it must have been around 18th Street. I pu- uh, Would you push that pillow up a little yes, bit? Yes, sir. I'll get it here. Uh, it? Thanks. I pulled up for the arterial. I saw this gal standing on the corner. She was hitchhiking. Do you remember what she looked like, how she was dressed? Well, you know, kind of flashy, but nice clothes. Good-looking dame. Tall, long, blonde hair, beautiful eyes. You're sure about the color of her hair? Yeah, it was blonde. And you offered her a ride? I didn't think there was anything wrong in it. I, I'm a married man, you know. I didn't think there was anything wrong. What happened then? Well, she got in the car and we drove off. We talked a while and she pulled a gun on me. Told me to drive up an alley. Where was that? Do you remember Around 32nd Street, 32nd is Central. And then what? 
She took my wallet, watch, car keys, everything I had. Mm-hmm. And she made me get out of the car, lay down on the street. I felt to shove that gun again. Can you fix that pillow? Yeah, you're bent. Just lie still. There you are. I felt to shove that gun against me, and then she pulled the trigger, I guess. That's all I remember. You don't recall her slugging you? Must have happened after she shot me. Her face looks pretty bad, huh? You'll be all right, Mr. Maloney. You think you'd recognize the girl if you saw her again? I sure would. Nice looking, you know. Tall, blonde, beautiful shape. Doesn't figure, does it? What's that? She'd make more money on the stage than she would rolling guys like me. Must be crazy. Maybe. Would you look at these mug shots, Mr. Maloney, and see if any of these look like her? Let's see. Yeah. Uh, this one? No. How about uh, this one here? No, let's see. No. All right. How about this one? No, she was better looking. Uh, well, here's the last one. I don't know. This might be her. The hair was fixed right. Maybe, maybe a little more makeup. I'm not sure. All right, Mr. Maloney. Thank you. We'll be back to see you in a day or so when you're feeling better. Okay. Say, my name won't be in the papers, will it? No, sir. Not unless you give it to him. I was just wondering. A wife might not understand giving a girl a ride, you know? Yes, sir. We know. Well, thank you, Mr. Maloney. We'll be checking back with you later on. Okay, officers. I hope you get a line on that dame. We're going to try. Goodbye. Sure messed up, isn't it? Yeah. That dame's got some other motive besides money. Psycho. Some kind of a sadist, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> Find out what you wanted, Sergeant. Yes, we did. Thanks, nurse. What did the doctor say about Maloney? Is he going to be all right? Well, he had a severe beating, but he'll get over that all right. It's the bullet wound in the back. He'll recover, won't he? The bullet shattered part of the spinal cord. There was nothing the doctor could do. Yeah? Paraplegia. He'll never walk again. <laughs> We left the county hospital, went back to the office, and got out a local broadcast for the woman whose mugshot Maloney had partially identified. Her name was Beverly Allen. She had a record of three arrests and one conviction of 240 PC, assault and battery. After we checked in the office, we went across the street to the crime lab. Lee Jones had already examined the bullet taken from Maloney's spine and the cartridge casing found at the scene of the shooting. Both of them bore the same markings as those which had wounded the two previous victims. From the striations, the gun had been previously identified as a 45 Colt. Maloney's car was examined. We found nothing. We went back to the city hall and checked in at the stats office. It was 8.35 p.m. Hi, Ethel. Make that run for us, yeah? Just a minute, Sergeant. How you coming, Ethel? Fine, here. Same old run. Back seven years on this one. Yeah, that's right. Did you get any more names? A few. Let me check the list for you. All right. One of the names and DR numbers on Caucasian women. Five feet to five feet eight, 115 to 130 pounds, 20 to 30 years, blonde or brunette, assault and battery, M.O. Hitchhikes, rides, and robs drivers. Uses gun. Yeah, that's it. Here's what the machine turned out, 19 of them. Good. Here are the names. 
The uh, DR number's opposite each one. Fine. Any new name? No more than the last time. Anything else for tonight? No, that's it for now. Thanks a lot, Ethel. Let's go. Bad start. How's that? Seventeen of these names we checked and cleared already. And the other two? Well, one's Catherine Collins. The other one's Beverly Allen. She might tie in. We've got nothing else to go on. You want to get to the record bureau and pull the packages on these two names? Yeah, okay. I'll check robbery and see if we have any calls. Huh? All right, Joe. Okay. Hi, Captain. Any calls for us? Just one. Bad Brown wants to see you. Oh? Bad mood? Kind of. Wants me, too. Let's go. Did fellow Maloney tell you anything? Nothing that helped much. Same old story. No reports on that broadcast we put out for that Beverly Allen? Not yet. No. Are you banking on it? It's first lead in 16 nights. Hmm. Here we are. Walker, Friday, come in. How are you, boss? Sit down. Thank Take you. a look. Woman bandit gets 16th victim. Beautiful hold-up queen robs, shoots, restaurant worker. Yeah? It's on the editorial page, too. Uh, something else. Memo from the chief. Here. Letter from the downtown citizens committee. Another one, civic club. They all want answers. Men are doing all they can, Chief. We got two other teams besides Friday and Romero working the case. Special squad from Metropolitan Division. They're on it, too. I don't care what we've done. We've got to do more. Sixteen nights, sixteen robberies, and three shootings. Three victims still in the hospital. When do we blow the whistle on her? We've checked out every possible lead, Chief. We've got a want out on one suspect. We're checking out another one. Talk to that man Maloney, the one she got last night. Well, what did he tell you? Well, not much more than the other fifteen that she took. Descriptions still don't match in one respect. Well, how do you mean? Well, in 10 of the 16 cases we've had reported, the victims tagged the girl hitchhiker as a blonde, long hair. Four of them say she was a brunette with a short hairdo. Two of them tell us the girl had red hair, long. She's using wigs, that's what we figured. Checked every place in town where she could have rented or bought them. No leads. Uh, what about some of the bigger supply houses uh, out of town? We've started in checking them. It'll take a little time. And you've got practically nothing on the woman. Same gun, forty-five Colt. Lee Jones examined the bullet they took out of Maloney's spine. Hmm. How's he doing? Not good. The bullet smashed his spinal cord. His legs are paralyzed. When do we stop her? Yeah? Uh, Romero? Hi, Chief. Captain? What have you got? Pulled the packages on two possibles in this woman hold-up thing. It's no good, Joe. Why not? What about that Allen dame? Jail in Kansas City. I called him. Been in for a month. And the other one? Catherine Collins. I checked Seattle. Been in the hospital up there for the past three months in TB ward. Where does that leave you, Friday? Right back where we started. No leads and no suspects. All right, Walker. Starting tonight, we cover every street and alley in the central area until we get that woman. We'll order up more men and more detectives from the Metropolitan Division. Right, Chief. Get out more decoy cars. Have the area covered from sundown till sunrise until further notice. Get that woman. Right. Come on, Joe. Yeah. Hot shot. I get it. driver's license said William Gillespie. We found him 50 feet from the corner of Gatewood Alley and Cameron Street. His face and head bore the marks of a vicious beating. There was a single bullet wound in his left shoulder. He was conscious when we arrived. 
Chief of Detectives Brown, Captain Walker, and Ben checked the area for physical evidence. I spoke briefly with the victim before he was placed on a stretcher and carried to the ambulance. On the way, he lapsed into unconsciousness. I went over to where Ben was standing with Chief Brown and Captain Walker. Take a look, Joe. Captain found over there near the lamppost. Yeah, 45 shell casings, same as the others. How's Gillespie, Friday? Doc says he'll be all right. Badly beaten. Tough dame. She really works him over. Wonder what makes a woman do things like this. What makes a man do it? William Gillespie was taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. The shell casing, which we had found at the scene, was taken to Lee Jones at the crime lab for examination. It compared with the others. Jones confirmed that the markings on the bullet which had wounded Gillespie matched those on the bullet which had been taken from Maloney's back. Both bullets had been fired from the same gun. The dragnet operation for the woman bandit went on. The men in the special detail covered every street and alley in the central area from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. the following morning. During the next five days, 11 suspects were picked up and brought in for questioning and then released after the victims failed to identify any of them. Well, at least we got her stopped temporarily. She hasn't pulled a caper for almost a week. Yeah, that doesn't bring us any closer to her. I don't know about you, but it's got me beat. Seventeen jobs, and she's as free today as she was before she started. Joe, Ben, what'd you find? Nothing. The last four women we questioned were clear. What about the other men on the case, Ed? Did they get anything? Baxter and Olsen are down at the record bureau. Be in in a minute. They've been out talking to some of the victims again. Mm-hmm. Tough one. I've been thinking. How about a composite picture? We got enough to work with? Artist in the crime lab's working up a couple of sketches now. Yeah. A lot of guesswork. What about the descriptions of the clothes the girl wears? Anything there we could start on? No. Other than the fact that she wears flashy clothes. Hi, Olson. Hi. Any luck? Not much. None of the victims have a very good idea what the dame looked like. Tall, good looking, nice figure, that's all. Nothing out of the ordinary, huh? Well, some of them said she had kind of an unusual voice. Soft, low. About all they could remember. Well, not much help. She's been described in three different outfits, is that right? Yeah, green dress with a pink coat, white dress, dark blue jacket, bright red sweater, and a brown skirt. Always carries a dark brown alligator handbag. Shoes to match, no hat. Not much of a wardrobe, is it? Maybe that's why she took up robbery. Now, look, let's get on this thing. We've been chasing this woman for almost a month now, and she's still got the run of the town. How long is it going to take us? Well, if we only had a lead that was worth something. Find it. It's there someplace. I've never reached a thief yet without digging for him. Now I'll get it. Robbery Olson. Yeah, right, Andy. I'll tell him. Anderson and burglar Joe wants to see you and Ben. Thanks. Captain? That's all. Come on, Ben. Yeah. I'd like a day off, wouldn't you? We'll get one when we get this dame. Right, Ed. This thing isn't doing much for the skipper. It's not doing much for our time off either, is it? That fire department's got the racket. 24 hours on, 24 off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they get three days off in a row. That's what you keep telling me. Here we are. Joe, Ben. Andy, what do you got? Checking back on a job out in Hollywood. Heard you were having troubles, came across this thing, thought it might help you out. What's that, Ann? One of the picture studios had a burglary about a month ago. The thief got in the wardrobe department, then next door in a makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. Uh, here's some of the stuff taken. Dress, coat. Oh, here you can read it. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Red sweater, brown skirt. Hey, look down here, Joe. Where? Right, right here. Oh, yeah. 
Took two makeup kits and four wigs. Two blondes, one redhead, one brunette. That's it. Any leads on this job? No, not so far, no. We got one thing to go on, a single footprint, size nine. Hmm. Pretty large size for a woman. I didn't say it was a woman. Print was made by a man's shoe. You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Those words are echoing across the country. Yes, Fatima has more than doubled its sales because Fatima smokers are telling their friends it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And why? Because Fatima contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. So for a much different, much better flavor and aroma, smoke Fatima. One of the most popular misconceptions of the working detective as offered by the fiction writers is the picture of a man with amazing talents for detecting evidence, analyzing human behavior and motives, and then, almost as if by magic, fitting all the pieces together to form the solution of the crime. The real-life picture is a little different. The working detective has a job. In a sense, it's a practical and down-to-earth job as baking bread or practicing law. It's his job to protect citizens and apprehend criminals, and it's a job he doesn't do alone. To assist him in collecting and analyzing evidence, he has the aid of the crime laboratory. To help him identify oddities and suspects, or possible suspects, he has the record bureau, latent fingerprints, the statistician's office, the ballistics department, a battery of men and machines to aid him in reaching conclusions based on fact. Tuesday, October 9th, 9 p.m., for the past eight hours, Thaxter and Olson from robbery and Ben and I had been requesting all of the 16 victims of the woman bandit. We asked them one question. Could their assailant possibly have been a man dressed as a woman? The majority didn't think so. Those that did weren't very sure. We followed the lead through. At 9.25 p.m., we checked in and headed down the hall for the stats office. Do you think it was a man dressed as a woman? I don't know. One male footprint. Spurgeous Liam Odds. Maybe the machines here can tell us. Hello, Sergeant. Back again, Ethel. Can you make a run for us tonight? 9.25. Sure, I think so. Now, here's the dope right here. I'm going to try another angle, huh? Yeah. Let's see. Male occasions. About 5 feet 8 or 9, 130, 235 pounds. Feminine features. Size 9 shoe. Impersonating women, robbery, and assault. That's it? Mm-hmm. Arm, 45 automatic. M.O. Hitchhikes, rides, and robs drivers. How soon do you think you can have it for us? Well, make the run on the collator. Have to punch up the master first with all this information. And let the machine work the cards. I don't think I'll have it for you much before 11. That mm, all right? Fine, yeah. We'll check back a little before 11 then, huh? They'll be ready. Good. Come on, Ben. Did you call your wife after dinner? Yeah. Wish I had, and she's mad as a hornet. What's the matter? Kid's having a birthday party tomorrow, and I forgot to order the cake. What's she going to do for the party? Bake one? She have to. Then she pulled this gun on me and told me to stop the car. Well, I'm telling you, Captain, I just grabbed that gun and slapped that kid just as hard as Hold I could. Hold it just a minute, will you, please, yeah. Collins? This man's name is Emil Collins. Mr. Collins, this is Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero. How are you? How do you do? I was just telling the Captain here, I'm down here on a vacation. I'm from Sacramento, South Sacramento, and... 
I was driving down your Figueroa Street about half an hour ago. I picked up this girl hitching a ride, and she tried to rob me. Collins took the gun away from her, subdued the girl, and brought her in. Where is she now? Interrogation room. Thaxter and Olson are with her. The description match? Not too close. Sounds like you didn't have too much trouble with her, Mr. Collins. Well, now that I come to think of it, maybe I didn't. When she pointed that gun, I just grabbed for it and slapped her as hard as I could. Sure took the starch out of her. Who is the girl? Any identification? None. Thaxter and Olsen haven't been able to get anything out of her. You want to try? Sure. What do you think, Skipper? You tell me. See if you can make her talk. I'll have a stenographer take Mr. Collins' report. Okay. Glad to meet you, Mr. Collins. That's a pleasure. I'm only down here for a vacation, but if you need me, just call. You bet we will. Thanks. How do you figure that one? I don't know. Let's see what the girl has to say. Olson? Joe, I want to talk to you before you go in. Sure. Did you finally get her to talk? Well, Thaxter did. Pretty sure she's not the one we're after. What's her story? Said she read about this woman bandit in the paper, decided to try her hand at it, needed money. Yeah? Claims her husband left her. She's pregnant, needs the dough for a hospital. She live here? Up the coast, Monterey. Got in town four days ago, staying at the YWCA. We checked there. She's not lying. You call Monterey? Yeah, they confirmed it. She left there last Wednesday night. She's not the one. Where do we go from here? You'll take care of having your book, Tomlinson. Yeah, as soon as we get a station. Okay, fine. Right, Abe, Ben, this way. Hustle it. You too, Olson. What do you got, Ed? Fourth and Lucas, 211 shooting. Let's go. Any details? Yeah. A tall blonde with a gun. Come on. The woman bandit's 18th victim was a truck driver. His name, Harry Reese. His story differed a little from that of the first victim. The woman was hitchhiking near Alvarado and 3rd Street. He gave her a ride. She robbed him at gunpoint, slugged him, and then shot him through the left shoulder. He described her as tall, blonde, attractive, and well-dressed. Guess I should have known better. Remember reading about the dame in the papers. You're sure that the person who held you up was a woman? Hmm? Well, I don't get you. What he means is you don't think it could have been a man dressed like a woman. Oh, no, I'm sure of that. No guy ever looked that good to me. All right, Mr. Reese. We'll check with you later at the hospital. Okay. We're keeping that truck cleared? Yeah, Olson's got a couple of men watching it. He's going over it. Same old story. Just another version. Don't you think she's spreading it pretty thin? Her luck can't last forever. It's got me beat how she always manages to disappear without a trace. Yeah. No, Ben, this way, over here. Yeah, okay. What do you got? Better hustle it. Four blocks down on Colfax is shooting. Just came in on the car radio. Let's go. Slide over, Joe. Yeah. You hit the sign, Ben. Yeah. The crowd watching. All right, Skewer. That all that came over, Ben, a shooting? All they said, see the cab driver, ambulance shooting. This is working real fast. What's the address for now? Third and East Flower Hotel. Hold on. This is it coming up. Should be to the right here. Yeah, take a right. That must be it up ahead. I can't see. What's that sign say? Edgemar Hotel for young women. Here's a cab driver. Office is right over here. Hey, looks like blood stains to me here all over the sidewalk. Yeah, I guess it couldn't have happened any more than five or ten minutes ago. I had this fare. See, picked her up at Fourth and Bixel, and I I drove her here. She she paid the fare and got out. Yeah, go on. I was about halfway down the block when I. Heard a shot. At least it sounded like one. And when I looked back, this dame was down on one knee near the door to the hotel here. And by the time I backed up, she was gone. And you noticed the blood, huh? That's right, yeah. I 
Figured I'd better call somebody. Can you tell us what the girl looked like? Oh, not bad at all. Blonde, tall, pretty girl, nervous. But you didn't see where she went? Uh, no, but I didn't. I'll get the driver's name and address. Joe, you and Van, see if you can follow that trail. Stuff's all over the place. Right. Over this way, Ben. Yeah. It's not hard to follow. Down this alley between the buildings. How does this figure? All right, now, let's find out. Here we go. On the way back here. You got your flashlight? Uh, yeah. Yeah, here it is. Okay. Yeah, this way. Come on. This must be the rear of the hotel. Now, look. The stains lead over this way to the back door here. Let, let me try. Okay, inside. Still following? Yeah. Careful. Up these stairs. Yeah. Second floor. What's the matter? Did you lose them? No. Just a minute. See anything? Yeah. Stains lead on up the stairs here. Let's go. I just happened to think. This is a woman's hotel. And they ought to keep the back door closed. Come on. Third floor, let's hold it. What is it? Thought I saw a door open down the hall. Did you see anybody? No. Let's go. This way. It's an easy trail to follow. Now, this is it. They stop here at this door. Uh, that doesn't sound like a woman. Uh, yeah, you ready? Uh, Try the door first. Yeah. Easy. Uh, yeah, it's locked. All right, come on, together now. Let's hit it. Yeah, all right. Watch it, Joe. Watch it. All right, you. I got the gun. Yeah. Well, we found what we came for. Look. Still got the clothes on. Blonde wig, makeup, everything. Please, help me. My leg. Call an ambulance. It's on the way. Take it easy. Have a look, Joe. The wigs, full makeup, kit, clothes, living in a woman's hotel. The worst. It was an accident. You never would have got me. I dropped the gun. It went off. You never would have got me. Yeah, that's right, mister. It was an accident. You better get the boss in here. I'll stay with Glamour Boy. Yeah, okay. And Ben. Yeah? Leave the door open, will you? House rules. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 14th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 79, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast... Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Smokers find Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. They find that Fatima is extra mild because it's the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. Best of all long cigarettes. The welfare and security of your home and your family is a subject of national importance next week, National Crime Prevention Week. The efficiency of your local police department is dependent upon your attitude toward your police officer. Not just one week out of the year, but every day in the year. He wants your cooperation. 
He needs your cooperation for the enforcement of your laws. Help your officer to help you to live in a peaceful, orderly community. National Crime Prevention Week costs you nothing, just your cooperation. James Harold Sutter, alias the Bandit Queen, was tried and convicted on several counts of assault with attempt to commit murder and robbery of the first degree. He was sentenced to the term prescribed by law. While serving his time in the state penitentiary, he was stabbed to death by another inmate. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Here, Morton Downey, tonight on NBC. Now you can double your listening pleasure by subscribing to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. For only 99 cents a month, you gain access to more shows for your enjoyment. Subscribe now, and happy listening. Star Wars Return of the Jedi Episode 4 Pattern and Web Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution, when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. Now, the final act of this cosmic struggle races towards its climax. The empire's new and more powerful Death Star nears completion, preparing to unleash planet-crushing power and give its overlords ironclad dominion over the galaxy. But around the planet Sullust, the total resources of the Rebel Alliance have been marshaled for one ultimate desperate attempt to smash the Imperial Juggernaut. From Sullust, there can be no going back. After Sullust, there can only come freedom or oblivion. Aboard the headquarters frigate, flagship of the Alliance fleet, the Rebels await their briefing for the great assault. Among them, a group of friends just back from Tatooine. And if there has been little time for rest and recuperation, still, the layover at Sullust has brought about some definite changes. If you'll all find your seats, please. Chief Counselor Mon Mothma and Admiral Akbar will be here momentarily to conduct the primary briefing. Would all assault wing pilots report to General Calrissian? Hey there, General. Ah, excuse me, I wanted to tell you if you ever need a double to trick the Imperials, I know this guy named Lando who looks exactly like you. What are you babbling about? Well, this fellow Lando's not a general, see? He's a ladies' man and a card cheat with a terrible <laughs> reputation. Yeah. Cheat? Every time you pick up an honest deck, the face cards start crying. Why, Lando, it is you! <laughs> hey, Leia, Chewie, come here and take a look at the man who's gonna pop the Death Star like a balloon. Congratulations, Lando. Don't pay any attention to Han, he's just jealous. When he went into the Carbonite, he was the best-looking pilot in the Rebellion. General Carizian, you cut an extremely dashing figure in that uniform, if I may say so. 
Thanks, 3PO. So they made you an assault wing commander, huh, Lando? Uh, somebody must have told the general staff about my little maneuver at the Battle of Tanad. Oh, well, don't look at me, pal. I just said you were a fair pilot. I didn't know they were looking for somebody to lead this crazy Seats, attack. please. Seats. Well, Mothma, leader of our alliance, will begin the briefing as soon as we're ready. Leia. Any word from Luke? No, but he won't let us down. The last communication from R2 indicated his presence in the Dagobah system. Slide over, Chewie. You're taking up three places. I'm surprised they didn't ask you to fly lead for the assault, huh? Well, who says they didn't? Well, I ain't crazy. You're the respectable one, remember? Shh, would you mind if we finish the rebellion before you two sort out bragging? Greetings to you all, my comrades in arms. Time is short, and so I'll direct your attention to the holographic display of the new Death Star. It's only half built. Looks like a rotted-out metal tooth. For once, we're a jump ahead of the Emperor. The Emperor has made a critical error, and the time for our attack has come. The data brought to us by the Bothan spies pinpoints the exact location of the new battle station. We also know that the weapons systems of this Death Star are not yet operational. With the Imperial fleet spread throughout the galaxy, the station is relatively unprotected. Relative is right, when you're talking about Starfleet battle weapons. But most important of all, we've learned that the Emperor himself is personally overseeing the final stages of the construction of the Death Star. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Admiral Akbar, if you will present the strategic overview, please. As this modeling shows, the battle stations orbiting the forest moon of the planet Endor. Although the weapon systems are not yet operational, this Death Star does have a strong defense mechanism. It is protected by an energy shield that is generated from a large installation on the nearby forest moon. Strong? Yeah, like a bonded armored wall, two parsecs thick? It does seem impenetrable, sir. The defensive shield must be disabled by a ground commando operation before any attack on the Death Star can be attempted. Once the shield is down, our cruisers will establish a perimeter, holding any opposition at bay, while our fighters fly into the Death Star's superstructure and knock out its main reactor. General Carissian has volunteered to lead the fighter attack. Good luck, General. You're gonna need it. It hasn't let me down so far, Han. General Maydeen, if you'll recap the commando operation. Thank you, Admiral Akbar. We have stolen a small Imperial shuttle, the Tidarium. Disguised as a resupply ship and using a secret Imperial code, a strike team will land on the forest moon and destroy the installation there with demolitions, deactivating the shield generator and leaving the Death Star without its protective shield. I wonder who they found to go strolling into that nest of stormtroopers. Probably some sucker who lost a coin flip. The assignment sounds suicidally dangerous. General Solo, is your strike team assembled? Han? Uh, uh, yes, sir, my, my combat team's ready. Who'd you lose the coin flip to, Han? Yourself? Uh, you could say that. And now look at me, a volunteer. General, I don't have a command crew for the shuttle yet. Oh, it's gonna be rough, pal. I didn't want to speak for you. Okay. That's one, sir. Uh, General Maydeen, count me in two. Well said, Leia. Um, while I would not wish to sound presumptuous, Your Highness, I must be included as well. Master Luke would expect no less of me. We couldn't get along without you, 3PO. Welcome uh, aboard, Goldenrod. Solo, by my reckoning, that leaves you one officer short for your command crew. Right, sir. I was thinking of asking for... I'm with you too, Han. 
And R2D2. It looks like the roster's complete, General Maybe. Time is short. Moreover, we must adjust our own plans to make up for the losses inflicted on us by Lord Vader at the Battle of the Baji Shipyards. So let us now conclude the overview briefing and divide into operational groups for final preparation. Look, what is it? What's wrong? Ask me that again when we have more time to talk, Leia. Commander Skywalker, you have a dramatic sense of timing. Good to see you too, Lando. Luke, if I was you, I would have stayed away a little longer. Hi, Han. Chewie! Whoa! I miss you too, old timer, but you don't see me cracking your ribs. Do I trust you've been comporting yourself in a responsible manner? Unfortunately, our problems aren't over yet. There are many ways of describing this situation, R2, but exciting is hardly the word I would choose. you to take the Falcon on this mission. What? I mean it. You need all the help you can get, and she's the fastest ship in the fleet. Thanks, Han. I know what she means to you, old buddy. Take good care of her. She, uh, she won't get a scratch, all right? Right. I got your promise. Not a scratch. The Falcon used to be mine, remember? I've flown that hunk of junk through more tough spots than you have. Well, this one will be the toughest, Linda. Hey, what do I look like? I'm fresh off a moisture farm? I didn't say that. We'll be just... inside the Death Star and blow the reactor before the Empire even realizes we're there. Assuming you don't mess up. So, did you get going, you pirate? Clear skies, Lando. Thanks, Tony. Han, good luck. Chewie, that fake clearance code's causing static on the IFF transponder. Give me some signal clarification, would you? Okay, that's got it. You got it warmed up, Luke? Almost, Han. The flight decks on these Imperial shuttles are a little cramped for Chewie, though. I don't think the Empire had Wookiees in mind when they designed it. How's that right hand, Luke? You took a nasty shot back there on Tatooine. It's fine, Han. Fixing a bionic limb's easier than healing flesh and blood, I guess. Being part machine has its advantages. You know, we've got plenty of spare blasters, Luke. You don't have to limit yourself to... Thanks anyway, Han, but a lightsaber is the only weapon a Jedi needs. Huh. This thing's gonna come out right, Han. You'll see. We'll make it come out right. Yeah. Well, I wish I had the same confidence in the Force that you do. Well, for what it's worth, the Force seems to have confidence in you. For some reason, that doesn't make me feel any better. Yeah, I was just looking at the Falcon. I can't shake this funny feeling like I'm not gonna see her again. Pardon me, General Solo. R2 says Major Durden reports his commander secured for launch. Come on, General. Liftoff time. Right. Chewie, let's see what this bucket of bolts can do. You ready, Luke? All set. All right, then. Hang on, everybody. Yes, R2. Here we go again.
coming up on their detection perimeter now, Han. Cue up the IFF transponder, Chewie. Stay sharp. The Imperials don't go for this code. We're gonna have to get out of here quick. Another Death Star. Just the sight of it has my stress compensators in flux. Steady, 3PO. Shuttlecraft, we have you on our screen now. Please identify. This is Shuttle Tiderium requesting deactivation of the deflector shield. Shuttle Tiderium, transmit the clearance code for shield passage. Transmission commencing. Hit it, Chewie. Here's where we find out if that code is worth the price we paid for it. It'll work. It'll work. Good gracious. Look at the size of that capital ship. It must be a hundred times as massive as the rest. Super Star Destroyer. What a monster. Luke, what's wrong? Vader's on that ship. Now don't get jittery, Luke. There's a lot of command ships. Keep your distance, though, Chewie. But don't look like you're keeping your distance. I don't know. Fly casual. Would this trickery fall under the definition of Corellian Overdrive, General Solo? Only if it works. They're not responding. They must be passing the clearance up the chain of command. They're not going for it, Chewie. I can feel Vader's presence. I'm endangering the mission. I shouldn't have come. It's your imagination, kid. Listen, let's keep a little optimism here. Shuttle Tiderium. Deactivation of the defensive shield will commence immediately. Maintain your present course. Okay. No problem. Told you Vader wasn't around, Luke. You think he'd let us breeze in here if he was? I wonder. May we hope, General Solo, that the most perilous part of the journey is over. Well, hope away, 3PO. Uh, of course, we have to set down without being detected, rig that generator installation to blow, and get out again before the Imperials come down on us. But outside of that, it's going to be a pleasant little walk in the woods. Oh. Oh, yes. Endor is said to be a sylvan paradise of sorts, isn't it? That would depend on your definition of paradise. Paradise indeed. Watch where you're going, Artu. This timberland is difficult enough to negotiate as it is. What good is all this primeval beauty? It's the last thing you ever see. Keep it down, 3PO. Hold it. What? Everybody hunker down. Oh, Artu, I told you it was dangerous here. What's up, Han? Two Imperial scouts standing by their speeder bikes down in the clearing. See there? Should we try to go around them? Nah, that'd take time. This whole party will be for nothing if they spot us. Chewie and me will take care of this. You stay here. Take them out quietly, Han. There might be more scouts out there. What are you worried about? It's me. Try to have a little confidence there, Han. Oh, sweet. Come on, Chewie. It's nap time for stormtroopers. How can a man go through all the things he has and not learn any humility? Han's only got two modes. Frozen stiff and carbonite and full speed ahead. Over there, Han and Chewie, behind that tree. Get set to move up fast if they need help. Han's foot snapped a twig. Behind you! Back off, you! They blew it! Come on, Leia! Uh, uh, get your spear! Go for help! Right! The other one's getting away! Chewie, shoot him! Got him! Look, to the right! Two more scouts! They're running for it! Okay, here's another speeder! We can catch him! Can't let him raise the alarm! Leia, wait! I'm coming with you! Come on! Here I come! Jimmer calmly. That center switch. Got it. But we still have to stop those riders from sounding the alarm. Watch out for them, Bridge! No! <laughs> 
Got it! Think it's right as well from the front, St. Luke? Watch out! Move up! Up alongside the one who's falling behind! Bump him if you can! Why? I'm gonna jump it. Ready? Wait! Wait! All right! No! Get off me, you filthy scum! Fine, but we've got to find that other scout. With two of us, we ought to be able to box him in. Yeah, if the trees don't get us all first. Shooting at us. Two more Imperials right on our tail. Keep after that one. I'll take the two behind us. Good luck. All right, let's find out how good you boys are at sudden stuff. <laughs> Not good, overshot me. How do you boys like it in the hot seat? You jostle each other, boys. One of you's gonna end up in the crosshairs. One down, one to go. Where'd he disappear to? Whoa, time to bail out! Look on foot, trooper on bike. Not good, not good. Okay, Jedi. As Han would say, show him what you got. Anytime you're ready, trooper. Let the force guide my stroke. Hey, 3PO. Tell Major Durlin to set up a comlink surveillance. Maybe if that jamming stops, we can eavesdrop on the Imperial frequency. At once, sir. Oh, General Solo. Someone is coming. It's Master Luke. Han! Hey, Luke! Where's Leia? What? She didn't come back? I thought she was with you. No, we got separated. Sirs, aren't you just informed me that the jamming stopped a short while ago, but there has been no commoning response from the princess yet. It was Leia doing the jamming. Han, we'd better go look for her. Right, you and me with Chewie to do the tracking. Tell Derlin we'll rendezvous at the shield generator. I'll get Chewie. General Solo. What? I strongly suggest you allow Artu and me to come as well. You'll need Artu scanners for the search. He's got a point, Han. You're on, 3PO. Be ready to move fast. Don't worry, Master Luke. We know what to do. And you said it was pretty here. Good. No, my idea of paradise would be a coronation ceremony held in the cybernetics clean room. Oh, well. Artu, prepare to move in high gear. I'm not going to hurt you. See? No need to get your fur all ruffled. Last thing I remember, that Imperial shot me down and punched his speeder into a tree. Looks like I'm stuck here. Trouble is, I don't know where here is. 
Maybe you can help me. Uh, come on. Uh, Sit down over here by me. That's it. I promise I won't hurt you. Our reports didn't say Endor had intelligent life forms. You look pretty well fed, I'll say that for you. You want something to eat? Yeah, yep, yep. How about a ration bar? Mmm. Mmm. Good. Mm -hmm. Let's see. No. Yeah, That's right. Yep, yep. Here, take it. Mm-hmm. Mm, good. Just let me get rid of this helmet and maybe I can take a better look around this place and get my bearings. What? It's just a hat. It's not gonna hurt you. Ah, you're a jittery little thing, aren't you? What is it? Is someone coming? Take cover! Keep your head down. Hey, where'd you go? And Dorian. Freeze, or I'll fire. Okay, 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 don't shoot. Hand over the blaster. Okay, here. Right. Unit four, go get your speeder and take the prisoner back to the base. Yes, sir. And you, don't move a muscle or... <laughs> Ow, hey, what the creeping crow... Sorry, Private. <laughs> but here's where we part company. Thanks, old guy. Stay down. I gotta get the other one. Look out, fella! Got him! At least the Empire hasn't gotten the alarm yet. Yeah, if you're saying we gotta get out of here fast, I'm with you, little guy. Lead the way. You know, you're looking better to me all the time, short, round, and furry. Among the rebels, pathways have begun to diverge as friends part company on their separate missions. While Han and Luke wait anxiously for Leia's return, Lando Calrissian prepares for a daring assault on the Death Star, his fortunes depending entirely on the success of his friend's mission to destroy the shield generator. In their hands rests the fate of billions as the rebellion struggles towards ultimate victory or utter defeat. And all the while, in the throne room of his mighty battle station, the Emperor watches and waits. Star Wars Return of the Jedi by Brian Daly. Based on characters and situations created by George Lucas and on the screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas. Featured in the cast were Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Joshua Farden as Luke Skywalker, Peter Michael Goetz as General Maydeen, Ari Gross as Lando Calrissian, Perry King as Han Solo, Natalia Nogolich as Mon Mothma,
Marcadere Rios as Admiral Akbar, and Anne Sachs as Princess Leia. This is Ken Hiller. Star Wars Return of the Jedi was directed by John Madden and produced by Tom Vagley. The co-producer was Julie Hartley. Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Music by John Williams. Post-production was realized with assistance from Tom Mudge and John Scherf by Tom Vagley. Star Wars Return of the Jedi was produced by Highbridge Audio in association with Tom Vagley Productions and L.A. Theatre Works, and with the cooperation of Lucasfilm Limited.
Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com. Thank you.